Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests, and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. everybody and welcome along to series 13 episode 2 of midweek motorsport it's just after eight o'clock seems like ages since we have all been together in our rightful places uh, tim gray is in his rightful place as ever he's up in london good evening tim good evening john happy new year and happy new year to you oh, yes, and I happy forgot. new year to the listener and we haven't had time to do that uh, nick damon is alongside me. Happy New Year, Nick. Happy New Year to you, John. Happy New Year, Tim. Happy New Year happy to New everyone Year, listening. And I haven't said Happy New Year to the listener yet, so Happy New Year, listener. So to say Happy New Year to the responsible adult. Uh, yes. And to her mother. Yeah, well, uh, uh, the Midweek Motorsport parents at the moment aren't doing so well. No. We, no. We've had a bit of a bad off-season. We the, have, really, yes. We've got, we got, got, got two, two broken legs and a major operation. Yeah. Absolutely. That's one each, by the way. It's not someone walking around with two brokers and had a major operation. Yeah. Uh, Nick's mum, down in Gillingham. Gillingham. No, she managed to break her hip in Maidstone, which is a different different, uh, health service. So that was one of the problems altogether, health region. Uh, Marty, my Swiss mother-in-law, Eve's mum, Hop Suisse. Literally literally now. In... in, Yes, she is Hop Suisse. <laughs> uh, she, she's down in Wexham Park in Buckinghamshire, and uh, we wish her the best. And my dad has uh, been in hospital since the day after uh, Thanksgiving. And uh, fortunately, uh, looking a bit better now, thanks to everybody in Dean B at uh, Kettering General. Uh, and the car knows its way there and back now on its own, quite frankly. Um, so, a, a, a stressful off-season and new year. A bit of a different show for you all last week, as uh, we weren't able to give you exactly what we had expected. Uh, Tim explained that in the uh, the opening to the show, but I hope you enjoyed our quick run round the paddock and a, a few interviews there. But on tonight's show, Tim, we have what? We have all of last week's features. <laughs> and some of this week's as well. And some of this week's. We've got a special guest later on. Yes, we have. Who's uh, starting a new job? Yes. Yeah. New year, new job. Is that everybody? I get that miss this year. <laughs> not not Nick Damon. Nick, Nick yeah. Damon hasn't changed his jobs for far too long. Unless it's August. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, that that almost counts as long service for you, doesn't it? I'm waiting for the watch. Yeah. No, no, you've got the watch. He's, he's got a very nice new Tudor watch, actually. Ooh. Yes. That's the Tudor nice. Terminal 3, Terminal 3 Duty Free. Yes, very nice. Thank yeah, you to watch. You get a beer as well. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. While you were buying it. Excellent. Ah, so they got you I was drunk. given a uh, beer yesterday morning at the railway station. Ah. Were you buying a watch? No, I was just walking through the railway station and uh, they gave me a beer. 
Like it wasn't real beer. Oh, it was alcohol-free? It was alcohol-free and it was Budweiser, so it fails on both counts. Well, interestingly, you should say... I'm sorry, we've gone off on a massive tangent already, but you expect uh, that. Well, it couldn't be most sport. When I was out in the Gulf during Gulf War II... Mm-hmm. Um, the sequel. I, this time it's really serious. <laughs> the, uh, uh, obviously, we were dry, and... But you could get alcohol free at Budweiser at one of the pizza places. And I actually thought it tasted pretty good. Did you know that alcohol free, better than the alcohol free lager doesn't actually need to be alcohol free? The EU regulations say it can have up to half percent of alcohol in it. Well, Calibre always used to have half a percent, and that was the first And who was it who advertised advertised Calibre and then got done for drink driving? And Tim should know this. No, Tim, you should know this. Laurie McMenemy. Laurie Mackham Enemy. Laurie McMenemy, who was the Southampton manager, Tim's club. He was big. Some of the managers as well. He was a big personality in those days, wasn't he? And he was advertising Kaliber, alcohol free lager, and then got done for drink driving. They were and a oddly, sponsor of British Touring Car Kind of lost his, uh, his, his endorsement then. Mm, Did David Leslie drive that one? <sighs> I knew you were going to ask me that. I, I have a feeling um, Tim Harvey drove the Kaliber car, didn't he not? He may have done. Tweets, please. Add spectatainment. Let's get and on. the picture. I know he had a Listerine car, but he's, ooh, yeah, that's definitely good. got alcohol in it. Um, let's uh, let's crack on, play the news jingle, and let's get into some actual motorsport rather than us just <laughs> really? chatting amongst really? ourselves about things because we've hardly spoken to each other recently. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And our top story tonight... Uh, with the papers having been shuffled by Tim Gray up in London, is what, Tim? Uh, we start with controversy news. Controversy, controversy news? news? Excellent. Yes. Go on, then. Uh, banning maps in the Dakar is unsportsmanlike, say Peugeot. Hang on. So, if so banning, ha- banning Google Maps? Yes. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, so you're, you've, you've got your event maps, but you're not allowed any outside assistance? Uh, yes. This year, they have to rely on the uh, road book, uh, which is supplied by the organisers. They are not allowed to uh, get teams of people sitting in a factory back in France to plot the best route using satellite imaging and and Google Maps and then send that telemetry back to the uh, GPS on the car. Well, this basically is effectively the Dakar rally has become an offshoot of the Duke of Edinburgh award (laughs) because you're not allowed your phone on that either. You had to use a map. No, I, orienteering. I, uh, it's not in the Orient. It's in uh, South America. <laughs> I think it's fine. I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I think I think they should have GPS on the cars. Safer. I thought they did have GPS. Well, apparently, Tim said they're getting remote route plan through satellites. So they can't get. Ah, uh, they have a GPS notes. locator on the car in yeah. case it all goes horribly wrong and they push the big red button. And they're, and they're going, right, you're here. You now need to go over that sand dune there and, and that, I assume. I don't really... Do you know what? Can I well, tell you? Surely, so long as... right now. Honestly, don't care. Whoever's got the best team of uh, geologists and uh, It's not geologists. They're not, collecti- they're not collecting rock samples as they go. Um, I... They're analysing terrain. All right, OK. Um, OK, that would be topographists then. The... the um, as someone who used to do rallying and used to get given a set of coordinates and waypoints and plot it on a map, um, either beforehand or the fabulously named Plot and Bash, where you didn't get all of the rally in one go, you only got a bit and then you were you were still oh, putting yes, it that's on. Fun, that. 
he was still doing it at racing speeds. The really interesting thing is, you've, you've both said that's fun, and to me that sounds like turgid purgatory. It's geography mixed in with fun stuff. <laughs> I really, I'm going to take you out on a on a rally now. Obviously, on the Dakar, they rally. don't get to do a shakedown on the Thursday. I, I <laughs> well, no. Just to go back to my point, right? I've done that, and. So long as you hit the weird points that you've got to hit, who cares how you get there? And if you're cleverer and you can find a better way, you know, if you're going another way, mm. then, you know, it's not as it's not like stage rallying whereby there is a track that you've got to follow. This is basically point to point rallying. And anyone who's done plot and bash or nighttime rallies where you were given a set of coordinates, um, 12 cars as they would be called them, calling them now where you've given a coordinate and a direction of approach and you've got zones you're not allowed to go in I, I i don't really i mean the fact that it's coming from a factory and they've got they can do it more efficiently it it only matters to the works teams surely everybody else is is doing it themselves seemingly only matters to persia they're the only people who've complained about it persia are good at complaining though aren't they, they are uh, do you want to hear what toyota have said we don't care. Please don't look at our turbo. Uh, I'll come on to that in a moment. Uh, they said... Or our roll cage. No. Uh, Glyn, Glyn Hall, the team manager for the uh, Toyota Kazoo Racing, said, I understand Persia is unhappy because they spent so much money on making their uh, maps, which I think was not fair. We should make the sport more accessible to drivers who make the sport uh, viable in the future. Does anybody really care who wins Dakar? Isn't it just a thing you just do it because it's there? Well, you know that there is actually a rally going on at the moment that goes to Dakar. In fact, it's finished, and I'll come on to that in ah. a moment if you stop preempting me. Well, I didn't know that. You didn't put that in the in the, in the notes. notes. Well, you've got a team of people in the factory in uh, Kettering, haven't you? Uh, plotting the, uh, <laughs> plotting course the, of the, the course show. of the show. Mm, good point. I kind of got kind of got waylaid doing RC stuff, I'm honest. I'm, I'm still plotting and bashing. I just had the waypoints that you sent me, and I've got to find the best way between those stories. Uh, if, I, if I've got to one of the stories before I was meant to, you can't blame me for that. I haven't got in the oh, wrong direction. Thought, it means I thought, you've missed out a waypoint. But, no, but if I you arrive though. at a checkpoint before you're supposed to, you get, don't you get penalised as well? Yes. Only if you're doing target timing and not target timing. Well, See, that's are. another thing I need to explain to you. I heard target top then. I thought, oh, you're doing the Porsche. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, why are Toyota complaining? Oh, God, who knows? It, because the, Peugeot are. Because they... Because Peugeot were not about this. Oh, really? Um, Toyota uh, spent their money on a system that automatically reinflates and deflates tyres. Excellent. It's like they have on Hummers. <laughs> Well, they have that on Hummers on streetcars. So it's been banned? Yes. Why? Uh, because they were using it to decrease the tyre pressures on the soft sand and yes. increase yes. the tyre pressures on the hard Which sand. Which is what you Good. do on off-road so anyway. That's but, but, you can, but hang on, you can do that anyway by stopping the car, letting it out, and then you have a, a electric compressor to blow it back up again. With and a they're ho- absolutely allowed to do that while they're stopped and doing it manually. Right, so so they've banned hub inflation, tyre inflation device on the fly. This is mass dampers all over again. Yes. It's not... It's, it's, it's Can I make a point it. about this? Yes. It's not mass dampers, because mass dampers was interesting and affected the World Championship in F1. These are some rich people having a laugh in South America. Uh, it's, it's, it's works racing, mate. And perhaps it shouldn't be. Mm. 
let's. I have, no, no, I, I have a huge amount of respect for the guys who do the, the, what's called the Dakar now. I think it's an amazing adventure, especially the bikers who are absolutely Bonkers. certifiably insane. Mm-hmm. I think it should be a thing to do and an aim like Everest. Or like I don't think it should be splattered with manufacturers. I assume that's anyway they get the money to do it. Uh, it's only motorsport event that I'm not allowed to even I get to I've been this this is a serious conversation that I had with a responsible adult this is not competing I've been offered a job as team coordinator in logistics on the no that's as far as I got not even competing is she worried you might turn the new Mark Mark Thatcher no because I actually can read maps (laughs) Quite and well, you actually. Be going anywhere near the Sahara. Oh, by the way, uh, Mark Thatcher. Just so you know, uh, Andy Marriott did the PR when he returned. Of course, he did. Brilliant, yes, he did. St- brilliant stories. Yes. Brilliant stories. Right, moving on. <laughs> uh, British interest in the Dakar. <laughs> <laughs> We're not moving on. Then. Okay. <laughs> uh, dropped massively after only four days when reigning champion or defending champion Sam Sunderland uh, was forced out. Fine name. Yeah. Uh, did, did he did he get suddenly overwhelmed by a lower division car? He crashed. <laughs> mm. uh, He's got a Welsh team manager. <laughs> Who I are... don't think it matters what the national your team manager is. Mm. Uh, his team manager actually is called. Uh, Too late. Alex Doringer. Right. Very uh, Welsh name that. Doringer Hull. Moving former, on. Former football uh, manager Andre Villas Boas. Oh, oh yes, he's heard himself, hasn't he? Yeah. Yes. He had a big shunt, didn't he? He hit a dune. Okay. It wasn't actually a sand dune, just a collection of uh, Frank uh, Herbert's books. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say... This uh, Move on. Uh, so, currently, uh, the Dakar is being led by Bernard Tenbrinker and Michel Perrin in the Toyota Gazoo racing car. Uh, what is the Toyota Gazoo display. racing car, then? What model of Toyota Gazoo racing is it? Is it Hilux? I don't know. You've got the stuff in front of you. Yeah, it doesn't have models. It just has team names. Oh, okay. Uh, team Peugeot Tatals, uh, Silver Spray and David Stara. Tatal. Are second. And Carlos Sainz and Lucas Cruz are third. Stefan Peter Hansel and Jean-Paul Cotteret are fourth. Who, who will win? And uh, Nasser Alatia and Mathieu Boumel are fifth. Right. Uh, in, the bikes, in the bikes, Toby Price is leading on his Red Bull KTM. It is indeed. A, uh, it's an all-new version of the four-wheel drive Hilux, by, by the way, from Toyota Gazoo. Uh, from the Monster Energy Honda of, course of it is. Uh, Kevin Benavides. And then there's another KTM. Tim and there. Tom Coronella are doing it, aren't they? Yes. Mm. I don't know if they're still in it or whether mm. they've retired. They, they, had a, they had a fraught first week, I seem to remember. From Were they in a KTM? That's a serious question. I just... just I don't know. Are, I just, are I didn't they read in the buggy far. section? I, I, I didn't read that far, but I just knew they were in it. Do you yeah. want to talk about the other Dakar? As you mentioned earlier, the Dakar yes. rally no longer runs the Dakar uh, because the route through Mali was uh, considered unsafe after a coup in 2012. Mm. Uh, the Africa Eco Rally, the Eco, Eco, which mm. finished last weekend, it did finish in Dakar uh, after its ceremonial start in Monaco. Uh, but the rally avoided competitors getting shot at by uh, rebels in Mali by not going anywhere near Mali. <laughs> uh, instead, they travelled from Morocco uh, to Senegal via the disputed territory of Western Sahara, where travel is unadvisable and land is littered with thousands of mines, before heading into Mauritania. Now, I have actually done a rally where in the 
supplementary regulations, it actually said, if you go off the road, mm. do not get out of your car, stay with your car until you are rescued, do not, in capital letters, in bold, pick anything up or touch it, it may explode and kill you. Now, where was that, do you think? Iraq. No. Uh, Salisbury Plain. You're on the right track. One more guess from Tim. I was the I was the double oh, was zero it car. The, um, uh, the Sunseeker. No, it was Otterburn Rangers. I've actually competed on that rally as well. Actually, I just remembered we competed in a in a Ford Chevette. I know it was a Vauxhall, but it had a Ford engine. And I was I also ran a Talbot Samba rally as the double zero car um, in that, and that was genuinely. On the supplementary regulations. Can I just say, you know, you, know, you just said I, I ran the Talbot Series of the Double Zero car. I just thought of wacky races then. I think Double Zero was the Boulder Brothers. No, Double Zero was um, Dick Dastardly. Was he? Yes. Yes. Terribly Only argue. car that never won. Yes, even when he stopped cheating, didn't win that one time. But interestingly, the Boulder Brothers, if you had scored that on the World Championship point system for Formula One yeah, and FIWC, it would have been the Boulder Brothers who'd won that. There was only, I think there was only about, how many episodes of that, Tim? That was 13, a quiz question. I think there was 13, only 13, ever. wasn't it, there? It, it was, I think there was a whole round of the uh, Christmas quiz about uh, this, wasn't there? Yeah, car, Boulder Brothers were car one. Yeah. Ah, Raiding well. champions. Mm. Professor Pat Pending with car three. Moving on. Uh, let's let's uh, come away from Africa. And, Rob uh, Chalmers, by the way, got Otterburn Rangers straight away. Well done. Oh, we serve a special car six. Mm. Oh. Any ideas? No. It's not public cum. It is. It's uh, the 2004 remix. I was about to say that it, it, it just wasn't what I was used to. Hang on a second. It's the Circuit of Wales bag. Circuit of Wales is still on course to be delivered. Creditors have been told. No. Really? And, and, and can I ask you, was this a statement made by, made by Carillion a couple of days ago? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, significant work has been uh, put in to get the project back on track with the support of a collection of councils in South Wales. What? The project itself was hit very hard earlier this year when the Welsh Government announced it would no longer support the project. This was unexpected and came as a shock to all. No, it, didn't. it was very expected and came as a shock to no one. Since then, significant work has been put in by the group to get development back on track with a collection of councillors in South Wales as opposed to the Welsh Government itself. This has been delivered successfully so far as agreements have been reached that allow the project to move forwards. Whilst the details still being agreed with the councils before funds will become available to commence construction, the new financial structure identifying how creditors will be paid has been agreed. As a result of this, the company will be in line to receive the financial reward for the project that will allow payment of its debts. However, this will not happen imminently and is therefore necessary to secure a form of deferred deferred Deferred. payment uh, with creditors. Hmm. Uh, Creditors include HMRC, who are owed £26,421 in unpaid VAT and £2,554 in corporation tax. I've just found something very far more important than this. I just found something out. Right. I might be moving on to that our next story. No, okay. it won't be. I think They've I might brought be. back Wacky Races. Oh, really? What? The well, new series started in November, uh, also in America in August, and it's there's a 
they've made 28 new episodes playing out over the moment. It's on Boomerang in the States. Right. It's probably on and Boomerang in And they didn't ask me to do the commentary. Well. I'm very disappointed. Well, I'm, they did I'm very Thunderbirds disappointed. I'm very well, disappointed. You know. It's not on Netflix. Uh, have you seen the new Thunderbirds? No, is it good? Is oh, it CGI? It's really good. You can't see the strings. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't see the strings in the first one. Anyway, Sorry. moving on. Probably good. Uh, and the, the uh, Financial uh, Conduct Authority is owed £2,200. Really? I want to know how they've, given that they can't have ever made any profit, got a corporation tax bill of £2,500. Well, uh, don't mm. forget, you pay corporation tax on your fines. Oh, that's true, yes. Don't, don't ask me how I know that. Uh, um. I know how you know that, <laughs> yes. Uh, Moving on. Now, the Welsh Government uh, has, uh, as we reported last year, decided not to invest in the Circuit of Wales. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but it has given £2.5 million to a car company based in Surrey. The cab people? No, they're Coventry, aren't no, they? No, is that the... Caterham? No. No. Close. Westfield? Closer. Is it someone who makes Super 7 replicas? TVR. T- they're not based, they're based in Blackpool. Oh, they've, they've changed, have they? They've moved. They're no longer in Blackpool. They've given they've given money to TVR, to Trevor. Well, they've um, they've bought a 3% stake for £500,000 and also given them a £2 million loan. Were they on like some sort of Welsh Dragon's Den? Oh, the Welsh Dragon's Den. Very good. <laughs> That's very good. That was accidental. Mm. Uh, so I could see that by your face. <laughs> Are they going to... to um, building Wales? They, uh, just in Ebbe Vale, actually, quite near to the Circuit of Wales on the heads of uh, the valleys. Uh, yes, TBR are going to build a new factory. Really? Will it be near to the Aston Martin one? No, that's up at St Athen, which is not, uh, which is a bit further north, I think, isn't it? Is Wales becoming a, a manufacturing powerhouse of cars? It's all the steel that they've got, which is paid for by the taxpayer. Mm. Still. Next year, the Aston make, Martin start rolling Ast- out to St. Athen. They're making Aston Martins and TVR, so I'm, I'm happy to subsidise that. Actually, do you know what? I wholeheartedly agree with what you've just said, and that's very unusual <laughs> when know. you make those wild, <laughs> it's true, huge statements, but you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. See, I'm Moving made, on. I've never owned Aston Martin. I've owned two TVRs, though. I, I still desperately need to own an Aston Martin. Well, you've driven one. I've raced one. Round I've raced two. Round in... DBS. You've raced it. You've raced it. Raced a DBS at uh, at Snetterton. What, in an actual... Of go. course, the old thing. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot. I I, I forgot they made the, the ones they made from Gate. made from uh, Newport Pagnell, which I shouldn't do really, should I? No, indeed not. Uh, the new DBX is the Aston Martin SUV that's going to be built at uh, St Athen. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. Tim, what do you have to do? The B and the X. Moving on to Formula One now. Hooray! Uh, you promised Daniel Kvyat to Ferrari news. Yes, we'll come on to that. But first, uh, yeah. a new job uh, for. New year, new job? For Martin Whitmarsh. Really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, in fair, so Martin Whitmarsh is all right. It's, um, it's Sam Thingy, who I can't understand how he ever gets employed anymore. What's his surname? 
for legal reasons, I'm not going to answer that question. Okay, fine. It's <laughs> a good enough reason. What job has young Mr. Whitmarsh managed to c- c- get himself? He's got himself a job at the Fédération Internationale de l'Automobile. Uh, that's really? it because most people have been employed with in French, so they've, they've gone outside their natural uh, gene pool. And um, what is the job that he'll be doing? He's a uh, temporary advisor on uh, governing uh, cost control. Right. So Ross has given him that job. That, no, no, that would be Formula One. No, it's it's because. It um, so that's FIA. So he's John Tott's gone back on the kind of cost control concept again. Is he? You pulled a f- Nick pulled a face there Don't when he said cost, cost control. control. Just spend as much as you want. It's not, it's not communism. It's, you know, it's not equal. If everyone wants to be equal, driving the same thing in a really boring way, well, you, you know, you do spec series. Spec series. Mm. And if you want to do a really boring series, but still throw some money at it and make it slightly different, you do Formula E. Not for long. One more year. One more year. No, well, it gets opened up, doesn't it? And then it gets interesting. No, it's slightly more opened up. Next year is not as good as it was going to be. We are one car, though, which is the key point. We've stopped the car spot. That's the absolute key point. So I'm going to stop criticising entirely because at that point it just becomes a manufacturer sport spec series. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on. Where does Nico Rosberg think there should be a Grand Prix? His front room. Incorrect. Oh, actually, there is one already, of course. It's in Monaco. Yes. Um, okay, give me a clue. Give me a continent. Uh, Does it not have a Grand Prix at the moment? There are two places and they don't have a Grand Prix at the moment. Uh, One of them has another form of motor racing. One of the... Well, Finland. They both have other forms of motor racing. Finland and Sweden. Circuit racing. Scandawija. There's no any Scandawija. Oh, right. Uh, Scotland. A lot further south. South Africa. South Africa. Oh. Back of the net. Good effort. There were two, were there? Yes. The the other one is is a town in the US. A town in the US, Las Vegas. Las Vegas is correct. Well done. (laughs) In fact, he said he would come out of retirement if Formula One went to Las Vegas. Fever? What, to go gambling or something? To race, presumably. He's kind of assuming people want to employ him. Well, that's the point. Well, everybody puts in a third car. I can think of one team that would very much like to employ him, but they can't afford him. And that would be? Uh, Mr. W. Williams, <laughs> <laughs> which are currently the repository for, who, who basically are now the racing team that sits by the station with a cardboard sign saying, please donate. Right. Okay. They've employed, okay. well, you know, I'm, I'm just repeating myself from last year, but I've been proven right now because everyone's agreed with me now. It's taken three months to do it. Well, what did you say last year, Nick? It was a very, it was an absolute crying shame. They had two pay drivers. Robert Kubitzer has just been confirmed as their test and development driver. He has. I mean, what Tim said Which at the means time, he can what, do all of the martini gigs. Yes, and what Tim said at the time was that Sorokin was the quickest of the test drivers, which was correct, but they were testing the wrong people. They were only testing, oh, they were people. testing, they were the wrong only people. testing people who could do the kind of money bath thing. They, they were only testing people with money because the people with money were paying for the tests, and they expected That's that... That's a fair point. They were expecting that Kubica would uh, blow them all out of the water. and so he got one he, arm. He wasn't as fast as some of them. Yeah, exactly. So therefore they should have had a backup with somebody else who was good. The, the only person that uh, Kubica was faster than in the test was Paul DeResta. And Lance Stroll. 
To be fair, Lance Stroll wasn't really testing there. But are they, they, he was faster than Lance Stroll. To be, I mean, admittedly, Lance Stroll had a terrible Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, but Kubica was faster than Lance Stroll in the Grand Prix. The fastest person of all at Abu Dhabi over those six days was Felipe Massa. Uh, so there we go. No way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. But obviously there's grip differences and everything else. But um, yeah. Fantastic. But the point about it is, it doesn't matter who they tested. The fact they shouldn't have two page drive. And as I said at the time, is the 15 million that Srotkin's bringing going to him but worth the amount they're going to lose in the Constructors' Championship? Because good to bad, you lose points in your first year because you haven't got experience. Yeah. Unless you are extraordinary. Lewis Hamilton. And even he, he, he lost a few by skidding off at... Uh, China. There's uh, not the amount of that. Not the amount of that year because they were last. They were, they were guaranteed to be last in the anyway because they were at the feeling the wrath of Max. Uh, there's lots of uh, changes coming in Formula One. There are um, slowly though. Uh, right, and I'm quite concerned because oh. uh, the headline on the front of one uh, weekly. Uh, motorsport publication last week. Does it begin with A and finish with T? No. Oh, okay. No, carry on. Uh, suggested that in the future all Formula One cars would have motorbike engines and be built in Peterborough. <laughs> Excellent. What? It said radical changes for Formula One. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> but I'm tish. Uh, can I do a few tweets before we move on? Yes. Uh, Adrian Michael Reese says Andy Rouse had one teammate. When he was in the calibre-sponsored Sierra, it was Guy Edwards. Tim Harvey, I remembered wrongly, was in a Rouse-prepared Labatt's Sierra with Lawrence Briscoe. Plenty of booze in the Labatt's, you know. Well, you see, I clearly just thought there was no alcohol in Labatt's. <laughs> clearly. Uh, very good. Thank you for reminding me of that. Andy Blackmore is listening in while finishing off the IMSA spotted gu- Spotter's Guide printed edition. Uh, and... Uh, he's made the same point. Harvey was Labatsieri, Andy, Andy Rose was Calibre. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, we didn't do any housekeeping earlier on. Lots of people listening, lots of people who have sent in apologies for absence. Uh, Simon Hoff amongst those who are listening in uh, or will be listening in on the podcast. Adrian Mattery saying, uh, Circuit of Wheels, financial structure has not been built yet. So just like the circuit then, mm-hmm. he makes that point. Yes, very good. And uh, do the FIA have service vans going around France like the RAC and the AA? I'm now picturing them travelling the country, homologating road cars against people's wishes. <laughs> so I think it's very funny. Uh, very good. Very good indeed. You listen to Midweek Motorsport, Series 13, would you believe? Uh, episode 2. Uh, we've feasted this evening on uh, mince and dumplings. Uh, with a bit of celeriac puree uh, on the side and peas and beans. And then we had a very nice homemade pavlova very nice. with summer fruits, very and, nice. uh, which had been doused in creme de mer yeah. and some uh, yeah. whipped cream. So that was... Uh, and my coffee machine is returned to health, so we're having proper coffee all as well. All things work. It, it, all, it was good. unhealthy. Oh, we had a bit of an off. We were sitting there, <laughs> was sitting there coughing in the corner. Oh, yeah, it, um, I thought it had blown a turbo sail or something, but uh, in fact, it just needed a bit of a decor. <laughs> no, it was just a penguin. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, so, uh, let's move on. Where do you want to go? We've got a guest coming Daniel up shortly. Kvyat. All right, Daniel Kvyat. Before Daniel we Kvyat. Because yeah. you, you, you wanted him to go to Williams, didn't you? Well. And now he's gone slightly, to Ferrari. Slightly more than Sorokin, but still not massive amounts. 
He's gone to Ferrari. Like, she was like Nico Rosberg. And then He's gone to Ferrari to do what? Test drive. Stand at the back of the garage. Stand at the back of the garage oh, right. and drive the simulator. Mm. And probably provide some more Kaspersky money. Because they sponsor them. Kaspersky are the... Parts yeah, but they've, of, but, they're they're been, but they've been on Ferrari yeah. since forever. No, but now they, they've got... Yeah, they since before sweet. they were banned by most uh, government organisations worldwide. Mm. That is true. Is it a kind of a strange problem to have your, your your virus software done by Russians at the moment? Even though I'm sure they are actually completely innocent of all the uh, associations. It's very good virus software. It is. Well, they should know because they're writing the viruses. Um, <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Possibly. Uh, so, is that a portent of future when Raikkonen finally gets turfed out? No, because they they've got it to his eye. Leclerc. Okay. <laughs> if only you could see t- Nick actually doing... <laughs> lifting up the glasses. Lifting up the glasses <sighs> when he does that. Well, well I, we're, we're going to have so to... So, why is so, he gone there, then? Because they've offered him a lifeline that involves Formula One and a chance to wear a nice outfit, and he wasn't going to get a drive anywhere else. Is he going to end up in a sports car? Might do. He just needs to get his confidence rebuilt. He's not bad. He's just he's just shot, and that's difficult to get back. Hmm. He wasn't treated very well by the Red Bull system. I mean, when he was sacked from not unique in that though, Nick. When he was sacked from the main team, there was no reason for it apart from their desperation to keep Max Verstappen. There was nothing, nothing he'd done wrong. Punting. Um, Sebastian Vettel at the backside twice is not, you know, a, 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 a particular at the start of a race is not actually a punishable offence by sacking, because apparently if you're Sebastian Vettel, you can just drive into someone and get away with a, with a ten-second stop go. Yes, you need to let that go now. I can't let that go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we move away from Formula One uh, and particularly Williams, congratulations to Claire Williams who got married at the weekend. Yes, and it looked lovely as well. Didn't it? Yes. yes. It, uh, my invitation must have got uh, uh, lost in the post. Were you not overseas and unable yes. to attend? Oh, yes, I probably was, actually. Yeah. I mean, I Which she would have known, they obviously. That they weren't going to make you, they weren't going to embarrass you. I do think uh, it was funny that they, they had it on the uh, racing car show weekend. Yes. Well, that's basically to keep the riffraff out. I mean, why else would you want to go there? <laughs> Stop. No. You're very um, naughty One, th- one thing I will say, I'm a little, just while we talk about Williams, we, I'm, we, I am a little bit surprised. Can I just put one thing about Williams? And very I'm quickly. Very, very, very quickly. Yes. I'm very, very surprised how little influence Paddy Lowe has had on the way the company's actually run. So far. He's been there a year. So far. I'm st- I've, I've made a point now. You can go to the guest. Uh, Michael Denny <laughs> says, TVR's factory is in the same building as Aston's factory at uh, St. Athen. Uh, still in South Wales and very near the beach. There you go. Cool. Uh, and Rotation says, Thunder, new Thunderbirds, not bad, actually. Excellent. Yeah, I'm talking about new Bucky races. The, the crotch belt is tuned in with no apologies for absence. Building a one-tenth scale model of Hindhoff Towers. Missing the H out the middle of that crotch belt. Is it right? For is the speculative shrine in my life. Is it an RC version, though? Ah, uh, Absolutely. Uh is the technology working, Tim? Can we move to our first guest Please of the do. evening? Excellent. <laughs> um, this is this is more New Year, new job news. As we welcome back someone who's no stranger to the airwaves uh, of Radio Show Limited uh, and the network of channels, uh, it's Lena Gage who is celebrating a new job and a new discipline uh, with. Uh, uh, Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport out in Indianapolis. Congratulations on the new job, Lena. 
Thank you very much. Um, I'm really pleased to be able to speak to you today. Why why now to go into uh, IndyCar racing, something that you've not done before? I had um, a bit of a long think um, over the last sort of, uh, let's say, 18 months whilst I was at Bentley. Um, don't get me wrong, I absolutely enjoyed all my time over there. I think it's a fantastic team with the guys from crew that Brian Gush has amassed and um, also with the support that M Sport and Malcolm Wilson's group give. Um, but GT3 racing and um, what I was doing, because it was very different to what I was doing before, wasn't quite for me. Um, so I was looking at my options. Um, I looked at um, all sorts of things, everything from Formula E, DPI, um, WEC again, back to America's Cup. Um, and then also um, what was going on in the States. And I think the States, if you are um, wanting to stay within a, let's say, a more traditional kind of motorsport role, um, you know, America's got got everything from IMSA and um, what's going on in sports cars to what's happening in IndyCar. Now, I followed IndyCar when I was a kid because um, Nigel Mansell came across. Actually, um, IndyCars came to the UK uh, they raced over at Rockingham and then went across to Lausitz Ring. Unfortunately, at Lausitz Ring, that's where Zanardi had his big accident. Um, but we never really saw the IndyCar sort of after that. And um, I stopped sort of following it a little bit during my sports car career. Um, and it was only when Piers Phillips came back across that I started to pay a bit more attention to it. Um, and actually, when Hildebrand um, nearly won that year was also quite an entertaining one. Um, so why now? Um, I needed to to go back to race engineering. I really missed it. I didn't think that would be the case. So it was I... important for you to get back to a, a team role, rather. You, you said your role at, at, at Bentley was something different. You needed, you, you wanted to change when you, you you went out of uh, Audi, but you wanted to get back trackside and wanted to get back in a team role. Yeah, um, that that's pretty much the basic um, <laughs> basic analysis of it. I it, I'm. Not, I'm not saying that what I didn't, what I did at um, Bentley wasn't something I wanted to do. I needed to try. I needed to take a step back and see if um, going down that more, let's say, technical and uh, management type of role was what I wanted to do. But I missed the track, um, and I missed it a lot. I didn't think that would be the case. Um, being associated with one car, with one team, bringing on a crew, bringing on mechanics, engineers, whatever it might be, I didn't think that would happen. But it did. Um, I guess you always uh, maybe maybe look back a little bit um, at what you did have and you know what you want. But I do honestly believe that um, I've made a change that I think I'm going to enjoy. And I've actually been absolutely overwhelmed by the response um, on social media to the announcement. I think this morning I've seen a message from someone telling me there were 14,000 views of Schmidt's um, <laughs> video. And I gained overnight 800 more Twitter followers. I mean, I'm nearly up at 4,000. Help me get there. Um, it's. Don't think that's going to be a problem, Lena. <laughs> well, maybe. But it, it's been phenomenal to see the interest and um, a little bit of pressure maybe now um, to perform <laughs> in, in something completely different to what I've ever done. But um, I'm, I'm looking really looking forward to it and really embracing it. You and... Your younger sister, Tina, were massive Formula One fans uh, in uh, your early twi- early teens uh, when you got back to the, the UK. I, I know that you, you were uh, geekish uh, about Formula One. So single-seaters have always been something you've been interested in. And I think you did a bit of part-time um, 
engineering work when you were at uni or maybe just after at BMW, Formula BMW and Air One GP. But this is this is very different, Lena. Yeah, so um, both Tina and I, we, we'd done our time in single seaters. She did a bit of Formula Palmer Audi. Um, both of us did A1GP. I did Formula BMW. I did some Formula V when I first started out. I love that. Um, yes, it is very different, but it's a race car. And um, there's some fundamentals to race cars that remain the same, whether you've got yourself a, a GT, a prototype um, or a single seater. So the fundamentals, whilst they remain the same, the style of racing that you're involved in is different. Now, there is another element to IndyCar racing. It's the ovals and the speedways. I was very lucky to be given the opportunity in December of last year to go to Phoenix with Schmidt. And I saw what happens at an oval. And um, my mind boggled a little bit. But once you work (laughs) out what's happening... Um, and I've got, I'm, I'm really proud to say, um, Piers has put together a fantastic team. The engineering capability here at Schmidt is is pretty awesome. Um, Todd Malloy, who's come across from Ganassi, I spent a bit of time talking to him and I spent a bit of time talking to, Pe- to, sorry, to Blair, who um, is the other race engineer here. And I've gained and gleaned a lot of information from them about why they do what they do. I'm not saying I'm an expert by any means. But I got an understanding and actually some of it is really quite logical. So it's going to be different. And yes, um, it's different to anything I've ever done. But I'm, I don't think that's really a problem. Um, motorsport and pretty much all of my career has been a learning process. And it's yeah. been a learning process from how you handle people to how you handle a car. So this is no different. It's just another challenge, just another day. Uh, and one you're clearly relishing, Lena, as well. Gives you the opportunity again to build a a, a relationship with a, a driver. Just one driver here. You're going to be working on James Hinchcliffe's car. Uh, is is what I'm I'm hearing. You the, the bond that a, a race engineer has with driver is something very special. And when you were looking after the lads at the Audi, you still call them your team, your boys. You still follow them. Um, in what they do now. Are you looking forward to that aspect, that personal aspect as well as of being able to build that working relationship? Yeah. Um, I met James for the first time in A1GP. He was really good friends with Khalil Bashir, who was the driver for Team Lebanon whilst I was with with them. And, um, you know, I thought he was a great guy then. Got to meet him again via Skype in November and then met him once more when I came across in December. And, um, you know, he's a pro driver um, and he's going to have his needs and I'm going to have what I need to, to do my job. But building that relationship is the fundamental part that any race engineer has in making a success or not of, of a team. And I learned a lot of my skills with Andre Ben and Marcel. And for that, I am hugely grateful for those three guys, the faith that Audi Sport and Yoast put in me and allowed me to develop because it's got me to where I am right now. And I hope that the way I operate and the way I work will help um, not just James, actually, but Schmidt as well. I've had an opportunity to talk a little bit to Robert um, whilst he was over here um, in December testing with a team in Sebring. And very much um, his mentality is as you would expect of um, a driver from a, from a German manufacturer, which sounds odd, but um, there's certain ways that things are done. Not to say that they're right um, and not to say that they're wrong either, but that kind of element is something that I can relate to. And I think 
um, the team as a whole and James will will really benefit from some of that. And we'll benefit the other way, learning how these guys who have been operating in, in IndyCar for some time now um, function and, and get success. Uh, yeah, that, that's a, that's an interesting point, Robert Wiggins, uh, you were talking about there, uh, weren't you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who's the other driver? So you, you, you're Team Canada, uh, as far as your drivers is concerned. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. We're Team Commonwealth. We have Piers and myself. H- hang on, he's a Geordie, so I don't even know where to start with that one as a lad from he's Sunderland. British, he's British, come on. And then there's Todd, who's also Canadian, and we've got a couple of Kiwis. We are Team Commonwealth. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, really, I really like it. You mentioned early on here that... Um, you were surprised at, at the response that you've got. Our listeners and me uh, are not uh, surprised <laughs> at all uh, at that response. You also mentioned that you had um, other opportunities and, and listed uh, a, a few of them. I would be remiss and the listeners would have a go at me if they didn't ask, um, was there an opportunity to go back to Yost and DPI? You mentioned DPI, that's a new team, people that you're used to working with. Um, the America's Cup thing I have to ask you about as well uh, in a moment. I, I'm, not, I'm not interested in specifics, but why was IndyCar more interesting to you at this point in your career? Um, and I'm, I'm not putting words in your mouth here, but it surely would have been easier to go back to some kind of common ground, either in the WEC or in DPI, with a team and an organisation that you were already comfortable with? So I'll be honest, when I when I first started thinking about all of this, DPI was um, probably my preferred option and it was the high, um, highest on the list, let's say. And it's kind of clear and obvious why I've been there and I've done that, so I'm comfortable in that position and I'm comfortable in that role. Um, yes, I, I did get in contact with Ralph at um, Yoast and we had um, a brief chat, but it wasn't going to be something that was possible for 2018. Um, I will say that I also had um, requirements for the teams I wanted to go and work for. I wanted to be with a big manufacturer if I was going to go and do sports cars again. And I wanted to make sure that it was a significantly um, influential role, let's say. But it wasn't to be. And I came quite quickly to the conclusion that if I wasn't going to get what I wanted going to DPI and all my boxes being ticked, it was time to think about where where else to go. Um, that's why IndyCar came up. And Piers, to his credit, actually asked me back in 2016, as did a couple of other teams, whether I'd like to run their third car at the Indy 500. Now, back in 2016 in May, I was still with Audi, so it wasn't a possibility. It was very tempting, but it wasn't a possibility. So it was on my list and it was on my radar um, to to have a go at it at some point. And how can I say, the stars aligned. And uh, <laughs> it, it became an opportunity to speak to peers, to, to take things a little bit further. And that's exactly what happened. It would be so easy to go back to the WEC. Um, you know, I'm known in that paddock. Um, and to go back to sports cars. But I've been there. I've done that. Um, I can go back again if I want to, but I think I want to take on America. I think I want to take on IndyCar, and I think I want well, to... All of it. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Um, I want to see what the Indy 500 is all about. 300,000 people in one spot. I mean, that's just nuts. Yeah, and they're all going to be your followers on uh, Twitter by this time uh, next week uh, as I well. There's a few other teams they might support. All right, OK. Um, America's Cup then. Um, 
you and I have talked about this before. You've, I think you've talked about it when you were on the radio at Mobile One Radio Le Mans and, and at Petit Le Mans as well uh, when you joined mm. us at IMSA Radio last year. Um, so we could have lost you from motorsport, which would have been sad for us and for motorsport. But, but why America's Cup and what is it about that type? You don't have a background in sailing. I mean, you, your degree is uh, a Master of Science in Aerospace Engineering. So, so why high-end boat racing what what attracts you about that because i've got a feeling that like single seaters that might be a an itch that has yet yet to be scratched um definitely um i might not have a background in it in that um you know my my degree and, and my career have not gone down the route of boat racing but whilst i was at university and for the best part of um 10 years um after i left uni i was part of a boat club where um in a rowing club, I was the women's captain. It was Stratford-upon-Avon. And whilst I was there, I did end up being involved in um, rowing to quite a high level. Um, took a couple of crews to the national championships and to women's Henley. Um, and I learnt my skills. I was actually a coxswain. And I learnt my skills whilst I was at Stratford from a fantastic coach who unfortunately passed away. Um, so that was where the bug started for the water. And, and the racing on the water. And there's nothing nothing more exciting than being sat in a boat with, um, you know, four rowers and you're looking across and you're seeing another boat as you're head-to-head with them, just racing them. It's fantastic. It really is. Um, is there some... Is, is there some... Sorry, Lena. Is there some um, parallel there with being a race engineer? Um, all right. As a uh, as a cox in a uh, in a, uh, a in a rowing four or eight, um, you're the only one looking forward, which is not the case when you have drivers. But you're still the only one, perhaps, seeing the big picture. To some extent, yeah. And um, you once again, you get a, a bond with your four rowers or eight rowers. You know them inside out. You know what's going on with them outside of the boat personally because that can affect how they row. You know where their physical limits are. You know where their, their weaknesses are. Um, and you have, to, you have to work around that. Um, and you have to build on it to make, to make the strongest team. We always had um, a saying with, within our boat club that um, the fastest level row is based slowest person in the boat mm. and it's so true because if there's one person who isn't quite together you're gonna, gonna start problem. yeah that's where the water thing comes from that's a big jump though from rowing on the thames at henley albeit the greatest regatta in the world and, and by the way what i know about um rowing and racing on the water is not very much but i am a big america's cup fan as i think quite a lot of people in motorsport yeah. is but that that's a big jump from that to going to effectively the biggest sailing competition in the world and powered by the wind and that's that's a whole different discipline there lena it's like um electric racing though you're powering a car through something different it's the whole thing about the america's cup um is how it is purely a boat the nature and elements a man and what you do on those boats um, and in, in the background, what's happening, there is an entire team that's looking at data. There's an entire team that's looking at how to improve the performance of the, of the sailors themselves, but also of what's going on with a physical boat. That in itself was an attraction. And so many people have moved across from um, motor racing, specifically Formula One, to go into the America's Cup to, to help develop those, those teams that are involved in there. And I think... That's, I got interested in it quite some time back um, and had a look at what was going on. 
And it kind of caught my eye. That was something to do maybe at some point or keep an eye on it. And it comes up every so often now. Obviously, the America's Cup was last year. Um, and Britain didn't win. So it came back up on the radar as something. Is that something I would like to do? Is that something I want to be involved in? And I looked into it, not probably quite, quite as hard as I had done with some of the other motorsport elements. It isn't quite the right time to go to America's Cup for me. Right. There's some other boxes to be ticked. Okay. Indy 500, a championship in Indy cars. They're up there at the moment. So there's some time for that one. Uh, I'm with you on the America's Cup thing. If I'd, that's one of the things that I'd still like to go and do commentary on. I think it's a fantastic mm. thing, and I, I love yeah. I love watching um, match racing sailing. I think it's it's fantastic, whether it's the Olympic or or in the America's Cup. Um, you mentioned an IndyCar Championship, the Indy 500. Let's bring you back to why we're talking to you, Lena Gid, on the line here uh, from the US, talking to us on Midweek Motorsport Series 13, Episode Two. Um, Smith, Smith Peace and Motorsport, uh, two good drivers. You've mentioned the great infrastructure uh, Piers Phillips has, has put together over the last couple of years since he's moved out there. And, I mean, do you go into this season, um, albeit as the as the new kid on the block, but does the whole team go into the season with a with a sense of optimism? Uh, it's, a, it's a new era for indie cars, things are there's a lot of changes coming. Um, is it in some ways a, a leveling of the playing field and potentially the end of some of those huge super teams being able to dominate? So Schmidt have um, brought in some new personnel, um, and the biggest thing that's going to have to happen is a bonding of those personnel because it's all well and good having all the best people under the sun, but if you don't have the right people, you don't build the team. So there's going to be some some basic work that needs to be done there, just like any other team. Um, the levelling of the playing field, well, things have got, let's say, simpler in terms of um, the cars being much more similar but being powered by different um, engines um, and power units. Those things are the, are the places where the great teams come about, the ones that can look for the small details, get them to work. Now, that goes for everything from just plain setup to how you handle your your engine, your tyres, and how you handle your team. Um, we've got here a great bunch of guys who have come from backgrounds, some from sports cars, a majority from IndyCar, a majority who've done it for a long time, and a majority who've seen quite a lot of stuff. Now, they have a certain way of thinking, a certain way of doing things. And for those of us that are coming in, let's say the new kid on the block, as you put it, um, with a different background, there's lots of questions of, well, why is it that way? And why do we have to do it that way? And why not do it this way? What's the reason for that? All of those things, they take time to build on. So that's not to say that um, there won't be some some decent finishes and some podiums and hopefully wins with this team, but they're not going to happen immediately. St. Petersburg will not be where Schmidt-Peterson suddenly come up to the top and go, yeah, watch us, we're on our way. Teams like Penske, Ganassi, Andretti, um, you know, I guess they're the superhouses of, of IndyCar, have been seen to be doing, being the superhouses of, of IndyCar. They've been doing it for a while. They've been doing it in a certain way. And Schmidt want to be up there showing them that, yeah, you guys did it, but we are here as well and we're here to play with you guys and, and do it properly. And I think that's where... Where IndyCar this season is going to be in- interesting and um, incredibly entertaining for for the for the viewing fans, it's it's going to be some some really great racing, but some ev- evolution of teams that possibly hasn't been seen for a while. 
Um, we've got a, a, a couple of shared weekends on the IMSA package, notably Detroit. Um, so yep. I'll get to stick my nose in there and have a, a cup of coffee. I do notice that your schedule leaves the Le Mans 24 hours uh, weekend, which is the week after, uh, a couple of weeks after uh, Detroit, uh, free. Um, you seem to have enjoyed coming across and, and being there as a spectator stroke broadcaster uh, in 2017. Any plans to come back to Le Mans in 2018 in some way, shape or form, even if it's just to uh, sit in the hospitality unit? I only just moved out to America on Sunday and you're asking me if I'm coming back. Um, <laughs> I've had two weeks of packing up a house and putting it into storage. And honestly, I can say that's the least fun I've had in a long time. Um, yeah, if the Le Mans weekend is free, there's a few friends who might be going there um, for a 10-year anniversary of a certain Le Mans win um, <laughs> back in 2008. And also um, a few friends that are still racing. I mean, Andre's there. Neil Yarny's going to be racing there. I be- I'm guessing Marcel will race there too. Um, there's an entire paddock full of people who I won't have seen for a while. So I guess if I get an opportunity to come across, I might take it. Um, and if you need anybody in the commentary box, I'm more than happy to do all of that again. I absolutely loved it um, at Le Mans. I didn't think um, I would be very be very good. And also I loved it at Petit. Um, that was good fun coming across to see, to see you and Jeremy. Um, yeah, let's see. Open invitation. Let's see how the stars line. Yeah, it's uh, the stars align. Absolutely. Uh, one, of, one of the undoubted stars of our sport is Lena Gade. Thank you very much, Lena. I know how busy you are. Thanks for talking to Midweek Motorsport. You've got an open invitation uh, at any of the circuits uh, we're at. Pa- pass best on to, to Sam Schmidt and to, to that Geordie boy, Piers Phillips, uh, <laughs> as, as well. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lena. Uh, Lena Gade joining us uh, on the line from Indianapolis and uh, thanks to everyone at SPM for sorting uh, that out. We'll have Marshall Pruitt in the next hour of the programme to uh, mm. to talk uh, a little bit about that as well. But time for one more piece before we finish the first hour. Tim, what do you have? Uh, I forgot to mention earlier that there will, of course, be a pointless press release of the week. Hurrah! There. Uh, tonight, uh, one Hooray. of the contenders is Rolex, uh, and Rolex. If you don't want to be horrendously embarrassed, uh, you can email me and offer me a watch. <laughs> <laughs> you have fifty-seven minutes. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, is that the... not actually illegal to try to threaten people with exposure? Like, basically, is that blackmail? I think is that's that called extortion. Extortion, actually. Yeah, extortion. I think. Yeah, you'll either, find give me, either give me a, a watch with a value of at least three thousand English pounds, or we will have your ridiculous. Well, he wants, if it's that. a Rolex, you'll want more than that. Seven thousand pounds. Yeah. Is that fine? Yeah. Is that all right? Is it enough for you to have a seven thousand pound watch? Uh, yeah, that would be fine. You don't wear a watch, do you? No, that's because Rolex have not yet supplied me with one. <laughs> Rolex haven't supplied me with one. I've got a very nice Tag Heuer. If Tag are listening and want to uh, preempt uh, <laughs> Rolex, or a Molligato. Okay. Oh, a Molligato, very nice. Very Bel- nice. I quite like the Belmont myself. Bremont. Can, can we talk Belmont was, <laughs> a, Belmont was, a, was a booted was, Astra. Was a Vauxhall <laughs> with a boot. Can we talk about what? Can we talk about the Nürburgring? God. Yes. New lap record on the Nordschleife, set yes. by the Porsche Panamera. Really? $232,800 if you want a Panamera was that, SP. Was that the, fast, the fastest lap by a pig ugly car? It's the fastest not... lap while towing a tractor of at least one and a half tonnes. 
No an way. An actual tractor. An actual tractor. Was it one of their own Porsche 910s or 901s? It doesn't say what sort of tractor it was. It just says it was a diesel tractor weighing more than one and a half tons. And how, many, how fast did he go around the Lerberg? L- 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 uh, well, let's have a little quiz here. John, How much? what do you reckon his fastest lap time was? 15 minutes. Nick? 12 minutes, 12 seconds. Nick's seen this story before because it's 12 minutes and 6 seconds. I had never seen this story You're before. kidding me. Never it seen this. It toured a ton and a half of tractor around the Nordschleifer. Yes. In 12 minutes and 6 seconds. Yes. That's extraordinary. <laughs> Adrian Michael Reese is the most brilliant person ever. He's already got that sketch of blackmail from Monty Python's Flying Circus. Do you remember that thing? Yeah. If Mr. Miggins, if you don't want us to name, name who, which secretary you're sleeping with, yep. then you can just send us X thousand pounds. That is extraordinary. Who was the driver? Uh, last Kern was... was the last guy who broke a rap record for Porsche in the GT RS, the Porsche GT uh, GT2 RS. Um, Does which not was... mention the name of the driver. Oh, you kidding me? The tractor uh, was on a trailer being... Uh, yes, no, no, I, I, I understand that. I, I think everybody realised that. Got a picture of that somewhere? Uh, yes. Oh, hang on. It was a new Sport Turismo. It's the booted car. So actually, it's a very good looking car. It's a blue one as well. It's not very good looking. It's just it, less ugly. Uh, this was... Uh, a twin axle trailer. It was a Porsche Junior tractor. Uh, they could only get up to 110 miles an hour. That's only extra. 110 miles an hour. It was it was a closed trailer, albeit. Oh, I see. Aerodynamic then. Yeah, that was just bonkers. Actually, I'm looking at that. That's not... Oh, yes, it is. Um, I had a good crawl around the uh, Sport Turismo, which is their shooting brake, um, when I was out in the States last year. And it's a very handsome beast. Uh, in fact, it's the best thing um, that they could do with the back end of the Panamera, <laughs> is, is make it into that. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsports Series 13, would you believe? Lucky for some. Yes. And this is episode two. I wondered whether we should abandon and just sort of skip the number. And what, and go to 14? Jump to 14. Or 12A? Oh, we could have done 12A. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be distracted for the next uh, while, because on Boomerang Plus One is an episode of Wacky Races. Is that the new one? Yes. So, oh, I can't believe we're missing out on this. It's uh, that's channel six one eight for Boomerang Plus One. If no, uh, no, I, 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 no, 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 it's fine. Now I know it's on Boomerang. I can set it seriously when I get home. Yes. Uh, still to come. Still to come on midweek motorsport. And is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the VO booth, please? No, there isn't because we've almost eaten all of the pavlova, the homemade pavlova. Almost. Almost. Um, and Nick's going to take the rest of it, I think, before he leaves uh, this evening. Uh, coming up in the next 60 minutes, that pointless press release of the week. Who will it be? Will we be uh, talking about uh, one of the world's most famous watch companies or not? <laughs> it was Patrick Simon, by the way, uh, who, excellent, uh, who uh, brought the lap record in the Porsche Panamera towing the trailer. Uh, more of your tweets, please, on at Specutainment. Uh, we'll have a sort of belated version of the Hamburg Dubai 24 hours uh, post-race tech, including the Spirit of the Race Award. But coming up next, it's Marshall Pruitt, live 
from the left-hand coast of America as we get some American news on Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. Uh, so we move into the second hour of tonight's programme. Uh, and just before we get uh, Marshall Pruitt uh, up, let me uh, go through a couple of the tweets that are coming up. Um, starring Tim Gray's Michael Palin, by the way, uh, <laughs> for the uh, for the uh, the blackmail sketch there. Uh, and uh, Avery McElreese says... I'm now picturing the tractor-pulling championship around the Nordschleife. I think we are. Uh, a lot of people seeing uh, how much they en- enjoyed Lena uh, being uh, on the show this evening. And uh, we'll try and get her back later on in the year. Rotation saying the new Wacky Rabies is, is rubbish. They've tarmacked all the shortcuts, so the track limit infringements are nonsensical. Oof. It also seems to include the Queen and a court jester, and Muttley's wearing a suit of armour for some reason. I'm sure, eh? I'm sure that's an episode-specific joke. I'm yet to see a car, either. Oh, really? Sounds, uh, you worse. See, Sounds worse than Top Gear. I worry <laughs> I worry about that, because I, I, I don't think you want to revisit a classic like that. You could die. It's a bit like Michael Schumacher coming back when he came back out of retirement, isn't it? You can just dilute your legacy if you're not careful. Mm. Oh, I, I can see. I can see. It. So what you're basically saying is that Michael Schumacher's three years being paid 15 million plus by Mercedes were the same as remaking a 1967 cartoon. It absolutely the same thing. Hmm. No, you're very true though. It, it's very, 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 very rare that the comebacks are successful. Uh, Which always surprises me why so many football clubs re-employ the same manager. It does happen. But when they, when they have been successful twice in a row. It's that old thing, never go back. Never go back. That's mm. right. So it applies for girlfriends or significant others as well, by the way. Yeah. Partners, I think you've got to say nowadays. Well, I wouldn't even say girlfriend and boyfriend, so it's any significant other you may have, regardless of your particular orientation. Mm. Uh, Rob Chalmers, good evening. Listening live while cooking dinner before a very late night training and test ride in the wind and rain and possibly snow. Hmm. Okay. Someone pointed out, so actually on my, uh, Mingus Motorsport pointed out I've got a Rolex. Yes, you do. But it's, it's Jim's Rolex, but let's not go into that. <laughs> there's a whole story about oh, that. Oh, there's everyone, luckily everyone on this programme knows. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a classic one as well. It is. Let's get it repaired, get the auto winding working again. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport, it's Series 13, episode uh, number two. Marshall Pruitt on the way. He's in the middle of an interview uh, at the moment, and uh, we'll talk about that uh, when we get him on the line, just to prove that this is live. Got any football scores, by the way, Tim, that uh, you oh, can... Oh, let's have a look. Oh, can, I do, can I do the football scores? Oh, yeah, go on, you do the football I scores. i just press one more button. Hold on, hold on. Hold right, on. go on, do it now. I, I want to, and, uh, okay, Team A won. No, no, you don't have to do that. Swansea City won. No, no. Wolves nil. You just need to give the scores. 1-0. 1-0. 1-0. 1-0. Yeah. And also 0-0, 1-2, 2-1 if you're in Spain, or in France it's 4-0, 3-1 and 0-2 and 1-2 and 3-0. And you know well, there's a lot of French football tonight. One, you know one, where that... <laughs> and another 1-1. One, one. You know where that comes from, don't you? Yes, that this was the two Ronnies, wasn't it? Well, th- this is a true story from when I used to work for the BBC up in the North East. Uh, at the end of a programme... Um, uh, which I think was a midweek programme, a presenter who wasn't 
a sports presenter was coming to the end of the programme and there'd been, clearly we didn't have the rights for the football and at the literally at the end before handing over to the network and going to the news at whatever time it was, um, it was just time for the football results, uh, 1-0, 2-2, 3-2 and 4-1. And that is literally what they said. It's obviously a northeast thing because, of course, the, whatever happened, the likely lads had that classic episode of trying not to find out that, the result of the game. Do you know what? I've just bought on DVD every episode that is still in existence. I heard some fantastic stories about Rodney Bewes because my uncle used to work at the BBC in the 70s. Mm. Not sure I can actually say any of them on the radio. I, I, have, uh, I have a family member. Uh, who went to school with the guys who wrote that, Dick Clement and Neil Lafrenier, and knows the guys who those two characters were actually based on, because they were, went to school with them. Uh, let's My say, A-level e- biology teacher was a prop spire. Oh, excellent. Excellent. If you don't know what we're talking about, go and uh, find it. Whatever happened to the Likely Lads. Uh, classic the Likely Lads, and whatever happened to the Likely Lads. She also classic. worked on Citizen Smith. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Uh, from Racer.com, Marshall Pruitt is on the line. Good evening, Marshall. Good evening, Marshall. Uh, and uh, I want to know what Marshall's connection to, to the Likely Lads he, was a British comedy from I'm the sure 70s. he has no clue whatsoever uh, about uh, about that. Um, the big story. I was a Jasper Carrot fan in the nineties. Uh, were you really? Oh, I've got a yeah. great story about moles one day. Right, it, He's so it. right. He's leave so it, right. Leave it. Just uh, just before nine o'clock here in the UK, we had Lena Geard on there, uh, confirmed now as. Uh, engineer for James Hinchcliffe's car. Interesting move, but part of a um, a, a really uh, interesting revamp, reinventing in some respects of Smith Peterson Motors, Schmidt Peterson Motorsport. Sam and Piers Phillips have been putting together. They're they're starting to become a bit of an all-star team, aren't they? And Rick Peterson, who has mm. been the uh, one of the primary financial engines behind the constant improvements uh, also you know along with aero electronics and such but yes uh your dear friend Piers has been working uh, wonders now heading into i believe is is it his second season as general second manager for season, yeah yeah uh and so i've interviewed Hinch this morning for a feature that I'll be putting out sometime soon on this exact topic. Uh, there is no, there are no IndyCar teams that have done more to improve their odds of succeeding next season or this season. Gee, good Lord. It's 2018 boys and girls already Let me go ahead and try and remember that. Um, there's no team that has done more to make themselves better than they were the previous season than Schmidt Peterson Motorsports. So if you take uh, Canada's James Hinchcliffe, the acquisition of Canada's Robert Wickens, the addition of Todd Malloy mm. from Chip Ganassi Racing as their new technical director, the acquisition of Lena Gade, um, and some other retooling. They have parted ways with some mechanics, added some others. They brought on board Billy Vincent, uh, Team Penske championship winning chief mechanic. Uh, this is serious. And what's going to be interesting, Heidi? is when we get into the new season to see how much they can separate themselves with the mid-pack because that is where they'd fallen the past year or two. 
might have earned a win here or there. Not saying they have been uncompetitive, but just they weren't really in the thick of the fight at every round. And it sure looks like they've done enough, if not more than enough, to be a, kind of a top five, top six, top eight presence everywhere. That's about all you need. If you can be in that cluster at a lot of races, that means you can have a shot to win. Um, since you and I last spoke, we have had IndyCar testing down at Sebring. You were there. Um, a number of drivers giving their first impressions of the new aero kit uh, at Sebring, the new Delara Aero Kit. Uh, Sebastian Bordier, for one, saying that uh, the 2018 iteration of the car could be very tricky, particularly on street circuits with the increased ride height. How do things go down in, in Central Florida? Interesting to watch and could have almost predicted uh, Seb's response. Uh, this car... Uh, let me rephrase that. This chassis, which has a, a radically different set of bodywork from what we closed the 2017 season with, uh, it is going to take away the comforts of some drivers. And that is significant. Uh, another piece that I have to write, interviews that I've done with Scott Dixon and Will Power, two folks who have some of the fastest hands in motor racing and you know if a car is sliding with them you'd often never know it because they're making a million tiny corrections while it's happening um these are the folks who can live on that ragged edge with a car that is dancing and moving around beneath them call it just a state of instability and they can live there and be happy and put it on pole and drive away from people win the race well, so then what happens, Heidi, if you have someone like a Sebastian Bourdais, who has always and you know been very outspoken uh, in what he wants from a car, and that being something with a completely planted, stable rear end, uh, which points to his preference for understeer. Mm. Well, now all of a sudden, as you mentioned, car with a little bit more ride height, with uh, the rear being more susceptible to uh, moving around under braking, um, it's going to be interesting to see how some of those like Seb, whose comfort zone is understeer, will deal with a car that says, nope, <laughs> oversteer is your new reality. Can you live <laughs> with it? I'll just add quickly, since we've all seen Sebastian do amazing things and prototypes and GT cars and you name it, he's a versatile guy. So uh, don't count him out from getting on top of the car and, and making it go quickly. But I think what we are going to see and what came out of that Sebring test is for those who are comfortable with that thing, dancing around and being really busy on the steering wheel to keep the thing pointed, uh, pointed straight. Those should be the ones who are quick right away. Yeah. And for those who aren't happy in that zone, uh, this car might take a little bit, a, a little bit longer to find that zone. And we also might find some who just don't. Uh, and some established stars who all of a sudden go from running top five, top six to, boy, they're sitting around 12th or 14th most places. So I think we could see that big of a shift. Uh, I can't wait for the season to start. Um, Lena saying there that the opening race of the season on the streets of, uh, of St. Pete may not give us give us the the whole story. Um, how, do you, how do you feel that those... Uh, big super teams will go this year. Do they still have the advantage 
that they've had in the past, Marshall? 100%. Yeah. Uh, resources and means uh, always <laughs> reflect beautifully when applied to a new race car, a new problem, you name it. Um, you know, just think of racing at its most basic premise. It's problem solving. Using people and money to solve the problem better than the rest. Those problems be the tools, the car that they're trying to solve. They're trying to come up with the ways to make their tool faster than everyone else. Well, if problem solving is the goal and the people who have the best solutions tend to be the ones that win the most, folks who have the most money have the not just the most people, but the, the best people, the brightest minds, the best problem solvers. You throw them, apply them to that problem, there's no no surprise that looking at the 2017 championship, Hindy, four out of the top five drivers belong to Roger Penske. The the one in the top five who didn't belong to Chip Ganassi Racing. The only true interloper was Graham Rahal in sixth place with the Rahal Letterman Lanigan team as a uh, single entry. But they have massively overprovisioned on engineering talent and resources. So, you know, they've tricked the system by just going nuts with with um, amazing engineers. And then from there, uh, we have three drivers for the powerhouse and ready autosport team and closing out the top 10 and 11th. Uh, we had two drivers from Ganassi. Yeah. So three teams, comp- I'm sorry, four teams, but, you know, really just one uh, single car interloper inside the top 11 in a championship with 21, 22 full-time cars. There's no reason to believe that's going to change because of a new aero kit. Just keep in mind that some drivers, based on their driving habits and needs, might not be as uh, much of a uh, a force as they were, because this car does not feed into uh, those specific requirements they have. It's it's fascinating. Um, I, I still think some of those other teams have got a chance of of victories throughout the season, but it's super hard for them to break through and challenge and get a champion championship run going against that massed rank of ranks of, of of resources marshall yeah what we're looking for well, let me rephrase that what i'm always looking for you know that i i'm all about the little guy the minnows yeah uh the the proverbial minorities of the paddock I'm always looking for those smaller teams uh, to spoil the plans yeah. of uh, those big programs. I do think Schmidt could be, you know, could be in that role. Spoiler, but we're, you know, there's a clock. <laughs> the clock's running out, Hindy, on maybe calling them one of the smaller teams with all the aforementioned improvements that they've made. Um, uh, can Dale Coyne with Bourdais uh, as their lead driver. And, you know, there's talks of a couple uh, drivers who might slot in into that second car. Could they maintain their, you know, giant killing status? Again, possibly, depending on how Seb gets on with the car. Ed Carpenter Racing, that's another one where, you know, it's only one car full-time with the same driver, that being uh, Spencer Piggott. I think Spencer could shine for sure. Uh, so that could be kind of a fun thing to watch. And again, there are a few others. Um, you know, will Carlin Racing with 
Charlie Kimball and Max Chilton, will they be able to make their presence felt? Uh, Gabby Chavez, they finished, you know, they had a couple of great finishes last year in the handful of ovals that they did with Harding Racing. Uh, can they, you know, rise up and, and make some people mad, do better than uh, <laughs> things maybe folks might think they should? Uh, lastly, AJ Foyt Racing. Uh, they're, you know, yet again, third season in a row, they're starting with, you know, an all new driver lineup, all new everything, basically, uh, Tony Kanon and Matthias Laced. Uh, but they also have Eric Cowden, who's been Kanon's longtime championship winning engineer. Can they, you know, drag themselves up from the bottom? So are we going to see a Penske, Ganassi or Andretti car win the championship? Absolutely. Just, you know, most likely you're going to see Joseph Newgarden go two for two as a champion, but don't count out Scott Dixon, possibly Will Power. But after that, I'm certainly hoping, and I know you're hoping, that some of the teams, some of the names that we haven't seen up front as often uh, as we would like, maybe this new car, maybe them, you know, for whatever reason, the divining rods happen to work with it. Maybe they can at least get the march on some of the other teams that uh, wander down the wrong path. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 13, this is episode 2, Marshall Pruitt's uh, unmistakable vocal talents uh, on the line from the US Thanks, at the moment. <laughs> what have you done with Marshall? Uh, you mentioned AJ Foyt uh, in, in that little rundown. It was his birthday yesterday. Uh, and some sad news uh, that goes uh, with one of his more famous uh, teammates. Perhaps uh, the best known uh, win for AJ Foyt outside of the US with, with Dan Gurney, uh, a, a driver who uh, sadly lost uh, his battle with uh, illness earlier this week. I know this is very personal to you. MP, because uh, a real hero of yours and you, as I have been in my working life, fortunate enough to meet uh, this particular hero of yours and and find out that you weren't disappointed at all with the man or the legend. Yeah, we we got word on Friday that Dan was in a very bad way. Uh, He had what the doctors described as catastrophic pneumonia and in recent years uh, Dan has had multiple heart attacks uh, has had a couple of strokes one of his favorite jokes to tell recently knowing that he's such a huge lover of motorcycles created his own line the sit-down alligator motorcycle um, and developed you know uh, many engines uh, amazing engines for them two stroke four stroke uh, one of his favorite jokes uh, more recently was uh, after having two strokes he can now tell folks he's a legitimate two stroke um, but we knew we knew Friday privately very privately wasn't shared with it you know very small circle was was let known um that dan wasn't expected to make it through the weekend and i visited him in november flew down for the day uh to santa Ana in southern california specifically just to see the big eagle and it wasn't because, you know, there was any hints or suggestions that he was in a, in a you know, uh, bad direction physically. But knowing that you know, what you were, uh, what you got to see and some, you know, some others got to see, thankfully, in April. 
at the Long Beach Grand Prix, which was the amazing reunion of that 19, the 1967 24 Hours of Le Mans winning Ford GT40. Uh, A.J. Foyt and Dan Gurney together at the uh, RRDC dinner. Um, Dan was three or four days out of the hospital. Uh, he just had a, you know, a fairly serious heart ailment yet again, and uh, they, they thought that he might have to miss that. So I mention this because, well, Dan was able to make it, and we were able to spend some time uh, with him and AJ, which and the car and Edsel Ford. I mean, good, you know, just what? I mean, these are these are fantasy things, Heidi. Um, even though we were able to see the Big Eagle there for a little bit and give him our love, what we weren't able to do is what many of us normally do during race week at Long Beach, which is we all show up a day early because uh, uh, Dan's birthday falls um, that week or tends to fall that week. But uh, so there's either a birthday celebration or something at all American racers. But even if there isn't uh, many of us, myself, uh, my colleague, Robin Miller, we all head down a day early just to go have lunch with Dan and just, you know, sit at the altar of your hero. And we weren't able to do that this year because, you know, for the reasons I just mentioned, they, they, he was in the hospital. He wasn't able to take any visitors. So knowing that and knowing that, you know, I guess you could say I'm selfish. Uh, I wanted to spend more time with Dan. I rang uh, his longtime lieutenant, Kathy Wida, and said, hey, how's the Big Eagle doing? You know, if I wanted to come down at some point, do you think it'd be okay? She said, yep, love to see you. So I did that. And was able to recapture, you know, that time that we would normally spend during April. And it was just a beautiful time. Uh, you know, we had lunch in the office there, talked about, you know, his book, his autobiography that he and his wife, Evie, have been working on since the dawn of time and is still unfinished. And he had some funny comments about that that, you know, I'll keep to myself. But um, and talking about how, you know, he's been suffering from balance issues. And we just spoke, you know, I said, you know, look, I'm in my late 40s, um, so I, I haven't felt these effects yet. But what's it like for you in your, you know, mid-80s, having spent your life as a star athlete, uh, military man, someone whose physical embodiment is just one of this towering figure of strength and achievement? What's it been like having your mind stay as sharp as possible, but having to deal with your body um, betraying you? You know, you can't bolt on a new turbo. You can't, uh, can't put on a new set of tires. So what's it like? And it was just... It was just, it was really interesting, Heidi, to, to sit there and talk with the legend of legends uh, about his journey very late in life. And uh, again, me just being a kid, I don't care how old I am, I still feel like I'm five years old sitting on Santa Claus' knee, uh, Santa Claus's knee kind of thing, looking up uh, just with starry eyes. So I know this is more of just a personal thing than trying to contextualize Dan's amazing life. But just the fact that I got to spend an hour, hour and a half with him in uh, November um, when I was, was leaving because there was a, I had to catch the last flight home uh, or I'd miss getting home for the day. Um, just told him I loved him and had that, as I was starting to walk towards the door, just had that awkward thing 
that uh, thing that you feel guilty about flash through your mind of, damn, uh, I, I hope I'm not saying goodbye for the yeah. last time. Yeah. And, you know, damn, I feel I feel like a fairly horrible person for actually having that yeah. uh, be present in my mind. But I'm so happy that I was able to do that. And yeah. uh, I'll, I'll just add one other thing in quickly. Um, got an email from Dan uh, a week or two ago, and that's meaningful. Uh, Dan does an email. Uh, he's you know emailed said I'm not too sure about this email thing or if I'm doing it right. And uh, but anyways, just fun, uh, fun to to see your hero, love your hero, even though he'd been going through um, a lot you know immense physical trials in recent years. But uh, to be able to grow up. Uh, I, I mentioned in a, in a quick podcast, Hindy, that at 16, the first letter I ever sent to a race team asking if you know they would hire me, it was All-American Racers. And from my very beginning in the sport, Dan and that team was just, that was the pinnacle for me. And so to be able to call him a friend, have him become a friend, one of the true honors of my life, first of all. But for those who don't know Dan's full life and contributions, victories in every possible thing, record-breaking vehicle manufacturing, etc. Um, there aren't many of these types left in our sport. And when we lose one, you just kind of sit there staring at the wall going, man, this, this world of motor racing we love, at least for me, makes a little bit less sense without them. Truly the word legend uh, applied to... Daniel Sexton Gurney, uh, and you've put together in the last couple of days uh, a remembrance of the of the Big Eagle, of the great man. Where, where's that available? We, we're going to play it in a deal source time here on uh, RSL One, um, but w- where can people download it uh, 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 right now? Uh, well, if our dear members of the Midweek Motorsport Listener Collective go to the uh, Listener Collective on Facebook. I dropped the uh, link for that there. Uh, it's also on the Marshall Pruitt podcast Facebook page. Uh, so uh, it's hopefully easily findable and readily playable. And it's about three and a half hours with uh, names of folks who wanted to speak about Dan, who uh, uh, leave us humbled whenever they grace us with their time. So pretty amazing. Labour of love for you putting that together. And I know it was that, but it would have been difficult as well. Well done for that. And as I say, we'll we'll, we'll play that in a day or so here on RS1. So keep an eye on the uh, the podcast feed, uh, on the uh, uh, Twitter feed, and we'll uh, let you know when that's going out uh, on our network. Uh, as with... Uh, Many people of of that era, the the stats don't really do Dan Gurney justice. Uh, Marshall Pruitt giving us there a little essence of the man. Um, four Grand Prix victories, um, one of which was Porsche's first Formula One victory. One, of course, also uh, ironically at the same track, wasn't it? That was at Rouen as well, uh, in a car of his own name. But there was that week in 1967. Golden week. The what golden a week, week in anybody's sporting career. Uh, AJ Foyton, he won the 24 hours of Ford. He sprayed champagne for the first time, bottle of Moet and Chandon, uh, which uh, I know a couple of people who've had their hands on, on that bottle and, and felt very odd about doing that. 
and then at Spa uh, won in the uh, won in the Eagle. I mean that that's a that's a re- that is a, a seven or eight days that I mean most people dream of in a, in a lifetime. Never mind in seven or eight days. And prior to that, just a couple of weeks prior to that, pole position at the Indianapolis 500. Yes. Yes. Uh, so if you think of pole position at the world's fastest and most lethal oval, uh, victory at the world's fastest and most lethal endurance event, and then victory at what was then probably the world's most lethal Formula One circuit. Um, amazing. I mean, tr- there is no word. Like we would have to come up with a new word because incredible, amazing. I mean, none of the they are. He did it all. Wholly insufficient. He did it all. I mean, that, uh, that 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 is all I can think about when I think of of Dan Gurney, and he did it all with a smile on his face and a word for anybody who wanted a word with him. Juan Brabham's first Formula One race was the first driver hired by Jack Brabham uh, to drive for his Formula One team, and won the team's first Formula One race as well. So not just Porsche, but also Brabham and his own team. Won five NASCAR races, won in Can-Am. I don't, again, um, when we think about that era, my my colleague Robin Miller, he refers to the greats as those belonging on Mount Rushmore. And Robin's Mount Rushmore, and I realize this is more IndyCar centric than uh, true, you know, F1 and other, but it's Parnelli Jones. Yeah. It's Mario Andretti. Yeah. It's AJ Foyt, and it's Dan Gurney. And uh, of the cool things, which I knew, and you know, this, these aren't secrets, but it's just lovely to hear them spoken again. Mario Andretti. I mean, Lewis Hamilton probably owns this space globally now, but for the most part, you could probably argue that the name Mario Andretti would be recognized by more people throughout the world than any other race car driver. Um, Dan Gurney was his hero. Correct. So, the, so the person who is, you know, the personification of racing for most people of any age, you know, we're going to Greece for the weekend. Who's they're probably going to know? Most people would know Mario over any other driver. Dan was was his role model. You'd speak with AJ. I spoke with AJ this morning. Um, same kind of thing, and on and on and on. It's just. Roger Penske um, looked looked up to Dan um, like he was a giant, and these are our current giants. Yeah. You know, Roger Penske just fawning over what the man meant to him. Mario Andretti, and you realize that again. I know we're, we, most of what we do, Hindy, is today's racing, today's stars, the young ones, the new champions. I just, for me, there is something special when we can go back to the the people that built the foundation we currently stand on and realize that when you do lose someone like Dan Gurney, it isn't just the usual, oh, my thoughts and prayers go out to them, garbage sentiments. It's the people, the rest of the people left from that era that take a step back and go, this person deserves the spotlight because he was the best of all of us. Uh, Thank you for that. Marshall, I know that's that's very personal and we look forward to having a listen 
uh, to that programme. As I say, keep an eye on Twitter and we'll let you know when we're playing that out. But if you go on to the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective, the uh, the places you can pick that uh, off and some of the websites. I know Road and Track are going to run it and, uh, and one or two others uh, as well. And I'll, I'll tweet that out as well within the, the next uh, few hours. Uh, quick uh, final note before we uh, move on. Uh, you were down at the Raw... Um, what a couple of weekends ago, although I managed not to bump, bump into you. We were on opposite sides of the track for... How do we do that? I have no you clue. You and I do that so many times. I have and no it's, clue. It's not for a lack of desire. <laughs> I maybe, I, maybe I should shower more often. I don't know. But it is silly how you and I are within a quarter mile of each other at so many tracks or whatever the distance is, yet we're so flat out that you know we get home and I'm like... We were both there, weren't we? All right, yeah. well, we're complete idiots. How do we not even give each other a hug? So, Ex- yeah, exceptionally uh, cold conditions, but actually quite useful. A lot of good data from the guys I spoke to. A lot of good data uh, gathered by all of the IMSA WeatherTech teams. Continental Field, the Continental Sports Car Challenge Field, 28 GT4 cars it, trying out in in GS. That was extraordinary, and we had a race. And the new format for the IMSA Prototype Challenge presented by Mazda with uh, potential of two drivers, pit stop, longer race, I thought was, you know, I, I always worry about those type of races, the development series races on the road circuit at Daytona, but it worked really well. Both classes had good races and the distance seemed to work. And again, speaking to the teams and drivers afterwards, everybody, a good time was had by all. I enjoyed it, just like you. I was a little bit troubled by the severity of some, the, the size and severity of some uh, crashes and impacts. Mm. Um, I mean, we could also extend that into the Conti series with uh, poor Michael Johnson, who's uh, best wishes to him. going through yet another, you know, serious uh, recovery after you know having something similar happen a few years ago at St. Pete in an open wheel car. Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not. Not saying that I didn't, but I, I will maybe add I had a little bit of a uh, one extra takeaway from it that I know it's a training series. I realize that, uh, that speaking specifically of the uh, LMP3 cars and the uh, the uh, the lights cars, um, man, uh, they're just part of me that says even though this is quote LMP3 and this is not the top pro type prototypes. Those are very fast. Very that fast. track is very fast. And if we are going to see the talents uh, or the undeveloped uh, layers of talent within drivers uh, exposed, whew, that's maybe not a track where I want those to be exposed. So I don't know if it's a little bit deeper vetting. Uh, since it is a development series, I mean, it is kind of hard. That's where you're yeah. supposed to learn and get good and get better. But, yeah, my only only cautionary thing was a few too many yellow flags and or wow that car's torn up and i hope that guy's okay so or or woman's okay so yeah. but yeah i i don't disagree um the I, concept I thought, of I, having a race at the roar that yeah. still might never sit well yeah. with my brain but uh i guess i'm not against it no i've i've just uh, seen the tv show this morning in fact i uh i did the bits and pieces around the edges of the TV show that will be going out in uh, a week or so's time. And uh, well done to the guys, uh, Jason, and the guys at NASCAR Productions for turning that 
uh, around and it looked really good the sun was out all right it was a bit chilly but it, it looked good and the racing looked good other thing i thought was interesting was having um the new tcr cars there in continental, in continental tires, tires. Uh, i haven't seen those r- running with the gs and the st cars before um took me a while i, I was going backwards and forwards um, when those cars were out in one of the early sessions and seeing VW Golf and Audis on the high banks took a bit of getting used to. But my goodness me, they're making decent lap times. Two minute flat for the, the fast guys and they're not the quickest in a straight line because they're quite aero draggy. But my goodness, on the infield, they're quick. And, and again, I've, I thought that worked pretty well. I think IMSA, to my surprise, readily admit this is uh, I did not think they were going to get this right. Uh, IMSA's resuscitative is that even a word? It is now. Uh, IMSA's resuscitative efforts for its Continental Tire Series uh, have been spectacular, massively impressive. Uh, I would say the work they have done there in a short amount of time to reinvigorate. Well, what was it a season ago the... when we had six, seven GS cars? Two seasons, uh, a season and a half. Yeah. More impressive than I think any single change they've done within the WeatherTech Championship mm. over a similar amount of time. We obviously applaud and loud the efforts in prototype with the DPIs and set. I mean, those are all great too. But if we're just talking about taking a property that was floundering a bit, uh, wasn't really. Is it going to survive? What can we do, man? Uh, I mean, I would say this, and we're not trying to pit championships against one another, but. Uh, I thought, knowing the struggles that we were seeing in the Conti series, knowing that in the Prelly World Challenge series side, that meant most of the cars uh, that compete there are similar, you know, if not exact exact uh, level, but you know, very similar to what we would see in Conti series in, in most of the classes. I looked at 2017 and thought, ooh, it looks like PWC is, is stealing the march here. Yeah. Um, I wonder if IMSA is going to rebound. I'm going into 2018 with the 180-degree polar view of, ooh, IMSA is killing it right now. And I wonder if we're going to see PWC on the back foot trying to figure out what to do to uh, you know, stay in that space the same way. So full marks to IMSA there. Yeah, good stuff. Marshall, thank you very much. I know some of that was a bit hard tonight for you and uh, we wish you well. And of course, uh, uh, condolences to the rest of Dan Gurney's family, Evie, and the uh, the rest of the family and, and to everyone that uh, was involved or knew him through his racing or through his, his other activities. MP will uh, we'll speak next week. Thank you, my friend. Cheers, brother. Can I go bless? Marshall Pruitt joining us uh, on the line uh, from California. And you're listening to Midweek Motorsport uh, live uh, on a Wednesday evening, just after 20 minutes before 10. Uh, the last 20 minutes or so then of the programme, Series 13, Episode 2. And Tim Gray remains up in London with what next, Tim? Uh, well, before we move on to our next story, uh, you mentioned that you failed to uh, make contact with Marshall, even mm. though you were at the same circuit, I have never seen Marshall in the USA. Even though you've been at the track when you've been, when he's been there? Yes. Right. The only times I've met Marshall in person have been uh, at Surfers Paradise and at <laughs> Le Mans. How funny. Nick Damon, have you met Marshall Proud? 
Uh, I have met Marshall Pruitt. On which uh, could in which I've met me? Marshall Pruitt on uh, just two continents, as Jim, uh, Jim as Tim has, but my two continents are Europe and America. All right, so you have met him in in the States. Daytona. Uh, Daytona. With okay. his kind of little strange sort of disco light and everything else. He oh yeah. His desk. Yeah, well, he's got a, he's got V2 of that. V2.0. Uh, where are we? Where are we? <laughs> He's launching a V2 from that. It'd be quite impressive. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, I'd get a rocket from somebody if he did that. <laughs> where, uh, where were we going? Well, my lovely. I, I remember a reading a letter in the newspaper well some done. years ago. Well done. Some years ago, uh, that uh, asked if I was 24 hours from Tulsa, where would I be? Yeah. And someone replied with, "Not far enough." <laughs> That's a bit harsh. Not that didn't come from the Tulsa Tourist Board, then. No. Well, these days you could be anywhere. True. Yes, by plane you could be anywhere in the world. On foot you could probably be in Texas somewhere. Twenty-four hours of actual travelling time, yes, but twenty-four hours in clock time, you you might lose or gain a day depending on which way you were flying. Ooh. Ooh. Man with clock knowledge. International dateline knowledge. Talk about clock knowledge. How's, how, have you got the requisite amount of bribes yet from anyone? No, nope. still, still Let, 17 minutes left of the show. Let's, let's anyway, Saturday night, yep. Tulsa was the place to be. Why? Chili Bowl. Chili Bowl. The Midget Nationals won for the second consecutive Tony year Stewart. by Christopher Bell. It's normally Tony Stewart, isn't it? They, they have an RC event there as well. The reigning uh, Camping World Truck Series champion. Uh, a lot of people asking why we weren't covering it, mainly because we, we were, were in Dubai. Dubai. <laughs> Of which more in a moment. And, well, and, and, and when you've gone, Chris Dubai Bell turns finished left, by turns then. Left, turns left. Yeah, turns no, but left. we could. But, but interestingly, we didn't have 24 hours to get to Tulsa. You well, didn't. You, now, how do you say it's finished? Was the race finished? Or was René Dubois marathon podium finished? Oh, it took I One hour it. and seven minutes. Right up there with Sebring, the year that the WEC <laughs> and, Im- and IMSA yeah. had the same. Chapter. Hour and seven minutes of podium. That, Greg Kramer was the man who was doing the presentation at that, and that goes down as the longest podium ever because it went into a second day. Mm. It was actually <laughs> after midnight, and he was still he was 20 minutes after midnight when I was back in my car, ready to drive to the airport to catch the early morning flight, and he was still going. And the responsible adult knows that because she said she was listening on Sirius XM. No, no. <laughs> She said, when I phoned to say I'm leaving the circuit now, she said, is that Greg Kramer in the background still doing the podium? And I went, yes, that's right. Remarkable. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Della Nutt Jr. Yes. Has uh, been very, very busy. Has he? Double yes. very busy. Quadruple very busy. Really? Is that quads? Yeah. What's uh, he been doing? Uh, well, today he crashed his car. Right. Right. Uh, in uh, North Carolina. Right, it was snowing. Mm-hmm. All right, so he wasn't testing. That was this was his no, street this, car. This is his street car. Oh dear, I hope he's all right. He's absolutely fine. Right, uh, but snow in North Carolina apparently is very rare. Right, unlike rain. Not sure. Every time I've been to North Carolina, it's rained. Okay, ask Jim Roller about that. Although he lives in South Carolina, in fairness. Go on, Carol. Oh uh, no, he just lives in North he Carolina. He lives in North Sorry. Carolina. Yeah, come on, move on. Okay, uh, Hart Junior. Is uh, going to buy the Carolina Panthers, apparently. Is he? Yes, according to ESPN. Does everybody then have the number 88? <laughs> or do they retire 88? Well, they just swap, they just swap the Gatorade for Mountain Dew. Very good. Uh, so that was, so he's been busy doing that? Yes, uh, in, in possibly in partnership with Felix Sabates. 
Really? Who uh, owns has half he, of Has Chicken he Nassie also Racing. bought the rights, the copyright rights for in perpetuity of O Carolina by Shaggy? Um, Probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, he's not sure off. it was a big hit, hit in the States, to be honest. He's off to... Uh, hey, Tim Laffer. He's off to Minnesota. Right. Has he ha- is he having twins? Not cubs. Oh, not quads, sorry. Or cubs, yeah. even so. Yeah. Or is, uh, uh, is he buying the Vikings as well? What, what's happening in Minnesota? <sighs> Super Bowl? Yes. That's weeks away, though. Cause it got, is. They haven't had the finals of the playoffs yet, have they? The uh, conference finals yet. It's only a couple of weeks away. No, three there's, weeks there's, away. There's a three week, isn't it, in between? Uh, so, yes, he's, going, he's going to be going uh, there. And then uh, he's off to Daytona. For the 24? Where he's the Grand Marshal. Is he? Yes. Uh, sorry, Daytona 500 he's oh, the Grand Marshal. Is he more say, grand yeah. than our Marshal? Mm. Moving on. <laughs> and he's also off to uh, South Korea. What, for the Olympics? For the Olympics, where he's going to be a pundit for NBC. What, in bobsleigh? Uh, bobsleigh and speed skating. Well Why done. not? Bobsleigh. Can I ask you a question, Tim? Is this, if you've taken on the role as his personal diary secretary or no, something... I've <laughs> just been bombarded with Dell and our junior news for some reason this week. Well, he's not racing anymore. He's got to do something, I suppose. He's writing press releases. Yeah, clearly. I doubt he's writing Shall, shall we move on to a bit of any other business that we should have been doing on Saturday night last week? Yes. Uh, after the uh, Dubai 24 Hours, uh, we were supposed to do a post-race tech for the Dubai 24 Hours and also for the 3 by 3 hours from the previous week. Yes. Uh we were unable to do that. However, we did have a vote for Spirit of the Race Award, and the winner of that was... Well, in, in the spirit of the, the event... There were two races. I have, I have in my hand a piece of paper, do I not? It, yes, that's it. This piece is of time. Is it going to take you an hour and ten minutes to read out hour the winners of Spirit minutes. of the Race? Only if I'm very, very slow. There, are, there, were, t- there were a lot of very good uh, nominations from the, uh, from the listener and viewership, and the responsible adult decided that in the spirit of having a TCE race and a GT race that there should be two winners. Okay, that makes sense. So in TCE, the winners I don't think this will surprise anybody, went to the team who went onto a local uh, user group for their manufacturer when they uh, didn't have the wheel bearings for their cars tracked one down and got the car back into the race and so the 71 Corsair BMW T didn't just track the car down. They didn't track them down in the parts warehouse. They tracked them down on a car, took them off the car, and then put them on their race car with the owner's consent. Oh yes, yes, yes they yes, they yes. used the UAE BMW M3 M3 club. owners club, and they sent out a couple of mechanics and to have, which that is the app. Talk about spirit of the race. That is spirit of 24-hour endurance racing. Absolutely. That is brilliant. Because why why don't they have any bearings? They'd because they'd lent them to a competitor and forgot to replace them. They'd lent them to a competitor at quarter, quite correct. Uh, that's the other half of that story, which is also mm. spirit of, of the race, isn't it? Mm. In GT, it was a close run thing, but coming out on top was the GRT uh, Grasser Racing Team Lamborghini number 964. This was the car that had, I think, three, three punctures in the first hour, hour and a half, and four or five during the race, and still fought back and was in with a chance of a podium. No, he till- came third. Third, should yes. have been second, but spun with three laps to Ralph go, four Nation. laps to go. Yeah, spun, correct. Um, so there are two winners of the spirit of the race. Uh, Nick, you're with us. I was for so, the whole event. Yes, all ten days. 
Um, Not for two days in between, though, were you? No, I was with Epsom for those two days. Yes. Um, let's go through a couple of the the questions. Okay. A um, couple of people, including Right Turn Lover, were asking why some of the teams put in their arm drivers near to the end of the, the race, in particular the 25 HTP, put uh, Rachvina in at the end, and that probably cost them seconds. Because they ran out of time with their pros. Yeah. Because the AM rules were the maximum amount of time a pro, pros, the combined level of pros can drive is 12 hours. So if you've burnt all your pro time, you have to run amateurs. Yeah. And I remember Paul saying that HTP burnt their pro time very quickly. Um, uh, similarly for uh, the 964 guys, Lars, uh, 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 the 991 guys rather, and uh, the 964 guys. Uh, Alex Clark saying... Um, with all three 24-hour series competing at the same tracks in the same weekend, could they run all three series in the 24-hour race? Theoretically, they could. I'm not sure LMP3s... There are 92 cars already. Well, I'm not sure LMP3s and the CN cars would necessarily be reliable whilst, enough to whilst, go... The... Whilst it's heretical to your concept, I if they're going to book the track for 10 days, I think they would be better off running a 24-hour TCE race then coming back and then running a 24-hour GT race, possibly with more cars, and if they want, running two days in the middle like I did last time with uh, the prototypes. I, I like the 3 by 3s uh, It means you can do it with a couple of drivers. 3 by 3 was great. It was just five cars short of where it should have been, or six cars. Problem if you put those uh, prototypes into a 24-hour race, then that becomes a four-driver race, mm. and you don't have enough drivers also, you, at the, the moment. Pro- in, with uh, the rules as they are within the 24-hour series, the prototypes will win. Unlike in the in uh, Abu Dhabi where they were on a tyre that was so unsuitable it was it was up it was a toss up and the better drivers of better driver lineup sorry of GT meant that the uh, GT car still won uh, the prototypes will win and then naturally the attention will go to the prototypes yeah and not the GT3 cars yeah uh, um quite a few people asking about the the rise and rise of GT3 uh, GT4 still not as many cars as I expected to see in in GT4 I think that will change um but changes to the regulations this year that a number of people talked about and did you just have about driving time um no theoretical lap times this sorry no uh, minimum reference lap times this year and i i think that worked um i think the balancing of the am to the pro class in a6 which is gd3 um with driver time and and, and team makeup i think that worked really well and, and as i said in the the broadcast, I'm very much a fan of balance of performance that doesn't involve messing about with the cars. Mm-hmm. If you can do it with pit stop time, with driving time, etc. I'm, I'm I mean, I like, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I like the theoretical, uh, sorry, the minimum reference time. Um, I know people, other people didn't, but I think that worked really well. And the pros in the AM cars, um, you were allowed one pro in the AM car. They seem to enjoy driving the cars as fast as they could. No, you're about any number of pros you like, but they had a maximum driving time between them. Mm. So, yeah, the 911 Herberth team had three drivers count, counted as pro for um, Coventic with uh, the Renard brothers and Dennis Olsen and two and two who counted as amateurs with Ralph and um, Daniel. But Ralph and Daniel had to do 12 hours of running. So the other three can only run four hours each because it's you know that's the way it was. That was the, the balancing factor was that you kept your out. And then in the pro teams, the pro teams all had to have one amateur, uh, but they, he only had to do two hours or she only had to do two hours. So it meant you could run a lot more time with your pro drivers. And that was the difference. I mean, don't forget the amateur cars had a bit less weight, a bit more fuel, and 
you know, I think it, it, I think we had was it the top five were ended up being pros, wasn't it? And I think that was, that was probably mainly because the better amateurs hit trouble. Um, you know, the 911, if it was leading that race um, for 60, 70 laps, hit a minor bit of problem, then dropped down to fourth, carry on going fine, <laughs> then hit major trouble. So, and then of course the, uh, and the number one car, the uh, Hoffa car, which is an amateur, true amateur, because they have got some very amateur amateurs in it. Sorry, very gentlemanly. And anyway, um, that of course was involved in the big incident of the race. Um, Josh Barrett saying first win he thinks for a twenty in a twenty four hour race for the VW Golfing TCE. Yes. The team Engstler guys beat all the GT four cars as well. Now that was interesting because you had factory cars in that. I think it's quite interesting. Someone gave a, a quote, uh, and I can't remember if it was to me or to Joe. They said these Genesis, I think after qualifying, they're great cars. <laughs> But they're very, when they're all pointing in the right direction, but they're very easy to derange. Uh, but D, G, G, they were SP3 cars. No, it's the same about, I'm saying about The GT4s were the new Mercedes and the new Audi Sorry, GT4s. I, I, I was thinking about the TC race. Yeah. Because, of course, what happened there was we saw the Genetas in the SP3 GT4 class at the front, and then they got all got overtaken by the TCE yes. cars, which, yes. which are strong and robust and kind of, I think, rather better suited to 92 cars around a, th- a five-kilometer circuit. And I think when we flip back to, to Europe again, like we're in Silverstone, say we have 35 cars, I think it'll, be ch- it'll change again. And and at that point, you know, you, you, when you've got more chance of running clean, the, the more fragile nature of the Genetas, both in, is, is, is going to be seven the TCE class. So with your question GT4, I think it was surprising, actually, that they, they, they did none of them really put a, a, a run together. Um, uh, Audi, perhaps surprisingly to some onlookers, Phoenix Audi, in fairness, a very good team and, and, and well prepped, uh, first and second uh, with the new Audi GT4, which out on the track looks surprisingly road-like. It's, it, it's, it doesn't have the racing car presence of the GT4 AMG, no, right. which... Uh, the AMG is still, still being ironed out, isn't it? Yeah. It's still being ironed out. I'm surprised. The GT4, yes. Yes. Well, but that, not, that, that's not, the G, not the GT3. The G, but that GT4 has got a lot of GT3 bits on it, mm. including the gearbox, all the interiors the same. It, you know, I, I'm not entirely certain how Mercedes-Benz can do it at the price because it seems to be they probably don't very care. close to a GT4 car. Uh, very close to a GT3 what a Halo car. product should be, isn't it? But I, I love what um, Audi have done with a, a GT4 car that is the very essence of a GT4 car, which is a you know a mildly modified street car. Mm. Oh, and those two cars ran pretty well. Pretty yeah, well. They, they, I think they, they probably they probably be a little bit disappointed with the ultimate pace, but the actual reliability and just trundling other laps they're pretty quite chuffed with. Yeah. Yeah, very good. And and the event, you know, all right. I, I I like to see all those different cars together. The I think ninety cars probably. Big change. Ten cars too. I think the big change in the event was the, at the track. The track was completely different this year because under, under under new management. Yeah. Lots of building going on. Uh, completely different things from things that are slightly irritating, like security. Things there was a much bigger crowd, much bigger crowd than there's ever been. Uh, and they hung around more, and they were they they seemed to know what was going on. They're walking in through the tunnels and that sort of stuff. So the new management, and it's had... not—it's still not a spectator event, and it's not meant to be. It's no. put on for the benefit of the teams. But they and the have kind of worked out that they have got a product you can sell for three hours at the start of the race, and had the families come over till it gets dark, really. And mm. so you had thousands of people there till it got dark, and then even and then you had the diehards. And there were, I remember looking. I think I think I had the one till three shift in the pits, and you looked across in the uh, in the grandstand, and there was still a smattering of, of locals watching these cars go. Around. There was a guy with his little son of about six at two in the morning. 
So I just got a flight that jet lag. I don't know, but it was like I think I think you should, I think you should go back to bed, you know. Uh, very very quickly, um, Declan Brennan. Good evening, Dex. Uh, thank you for pointing out that uh, Dylan our junior buying Jerry Richardson's share, forty percent share of the Panthers. Uh, it is the controlling share. The team is worth well north of two billion dollars. Uh, extraordinary. Really? Tim Tim Greer, wrap us up for tonight. Bring uh, us home, Tim. Shay Adam has uh, pointed out that Dell Jr. is currently uh, starring in a uh, reality TV show renovating a house in Florida Keys. Really? Yes. Mm. Right, okay. Um, is Dale Earnhardt going to pop up in Martin Haven's commentary booth for the no, uh, bobsleigh? Different commentary booth. Right. Is, Martin, is he going to pop up in Pobbly Com? People of the Valley. He could buy the Circuit of Wales. Well, he wouldn't be difficult there's not much to buy uh, barely time for the pointless press release of the week and as we I've got to go to Daytona next week and we'll be doing the show from the Rolex 24 at Daytona you can Let's... collect my watch for me can't yes, you yes indeed it's already been promised so we can move on to the other one that you have <laughs> record breaking visitor numbers at the Lamborghini Museum terrific right for the first time ever in 2017, the Lamborghini Museum in Santa Gata Bolognese ended its extraordinary year with a record number, record-breaking number of visitors from all over the world, reaching the 100,000 milestone. What in the year? In the year, or cumulatively or since it's been opened. I'm Wait a bit underwhelmed by that. Are you? 100,000? Yeah. Not a big number. 3,000 a day, I suppose. With a two and a half increase no, in turnover. Sorry, it's not three thousand. That'd be a million, wouldn't it? Listen carefully. With a two and a half increase in turnover in just two years. Two and a half what? It doesn't say. All right, okay. It's just an increase of two and a half. Right. Maybe it's two and a half people. Right. Maybe previously it was. I don't know. Uh, Let's assume it's open for fifty weeks of the year. Nick, yes. as you do that. So carry on. The museum space of Lamborghini has attracted aficionados of every nationality. Right. Uh, Europe accounts for 30% of the visitors. It's 285 people a day. Uh, See, I'm underwhelmed by that. No, that's not very impressive. I thought it was 2,800 a day. I've got, I, I was out by a factor of 10. I had to get my phone out and calculate it. Germany is 9%. Mm-hmm. Uh, France, 5%. UK, 5%. Holland, 4%. Well, I didn't even know they had one. Uh, visitors from America, 15%, and the Asia-Pacific region, 13%. I would think that the vast majority of people who go there go there whilst they're picking up or specking up a no, car. The in vast terms majority of people go there because they're on a sort of a tour and they've just done Ferrari and Ducati and now it's their time to do Lamborghini, I assume. Okay. In terms of visitor profile, 2017 saw a significant number, sorry, an increasing number of women aged over 35. How do they someone, know? Someone has overanalyzed the visitor statistics box that have been ticked. Fifty uh, percent of visitors arrived between July and October. The peak days of the week were Saturday, Monday, and Friday. I think we've got the gist of this now. Uh, at what point is this supposed to be interesting? Well, that's why it's the point. That's the point press, press release of the uh, week, Nick. Uh, good one. Uh, it's open seven days a week from nine thirty till seven. Mm. Bloody hell. That means they're open for so they're open 9.30 to 7, so they're open for 10 hours a day almost. They're averaging three people an hour. 30 people, basically, an hour. Mm. Nearly, nearly 30, well, about 30 people an hour, yes. Yeah. That's one every two minutes. That sounds quite impressive, actually, one every two minutes. Every 120 seconds, someone visits a Lamborghini museum. <laughs> 
But so they're, 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 they're still selling 20... So they're getting 25 visitors per car sold, though. They sell about 4,000 cars a year, don't they? I'm basing the fact that I know that McLaren sold more than them one year with 4,800, so... Uh, so, yes, next week is the start of the 2018 motorsport season, apparently. Well, I think you, I think they may find really? that they're a couple <laughs> of weeks late. According to Rolex. Okay. All right. All right. Well, it's one. it's it's the start of... Well, no, it's not even the start it's of the not, IMSA no, series. No. It's the start of the it's IMSA not, not even <laughs> support of the championship that they uh, are a sponsor of. Wow. Hmm. Uh, but that's uh, where we'll be next week for our regular January visit to the World Centre of Racing, self-proclaimed World Centre of Racing. Uh, we'll be in the IMSA broadcast booth uh, overlooking the start-finish line, uh, getting ready for our extensive coverage of the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona for 2018. We'll have uh, full coverage of every session of the IMSA WeatherTech series and, of course, qualifying in the whole race live will be in vision as well as sound. Uh, for those of you in the US, of course, the race will be uh, covered by our colleagues at Fox. I can't think why you'll do that. Why wouldn't you want to spend three days at the XL Arena as an education show? Which is where Nick's going to be. <sighs> education. Hmm. Education, education, education. education. You can, you can pop say hello to me. Uh, we'll also have uh, extensive coverage of all the IMSA development series on show, including the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, uh, where that will be available in vision as well as sound to the US as well. That's the four-hour race on Friday. And with the field looking absolutely extraordinary, that is one you won't want to miss. There were 28 GT4 cars uh, in the practice sessions uh, at the Raw before. Uh, and there's some Ferraris as well, apparently. Which I think uh, she and Jeremy will be uh, looking after. <laughs> John doesn't even know what they are. are well, they red? <laughs> last, last year, they were allowed to take their driver coaches out in qualifying in, this, in, this, in the, oh, the right-hand seat. sweet, isn't it? They had training wheels on them oh. and everything. It's great. Loved it. Johnny, uh, Johnny uh, really likes Ferrari's uh, press officer, though. Um, yeah, well, Johnny will be too busy doing other things. Johnny's got other focuses for next for next trip. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the week after, uh, the week after, <laughs> probably the week after that, of course, we're in Bathurst. So I'll be getting up half an hour before I went to bed on Thursday <laughs> to uh, to do the show from that. So that's the next few weeks panned out. Uh, join us next week as we begin that build-up uh, to a very busy couple of weekends. And keep your eye on Adspec Entertainment, and we'll let you know when we're going to play out that uh, Dan Gurney, uh, Remembrance of Dan Gurney special that Marshall has put together. Uh, that will be in the next couple of days. Thanks to Tim Gray who was up in London tonight, to Marshall Pruitt, to Lena Gade, our special guest, to Nick Damon and to the responsible adult Eve Hewitt. That was Midweek Motorsport Series 13, episode Happy number New two. And uh, there's no time to explain because the Lama is saying Happy New Year to everyone. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.